Hello and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history as told card by card through Cube. I'm Austin and with me as always is Connor. How are you today, Connor? I'm doing pretty good. I got uh, got a mysterious envelope from you. Oh. Actually, a, a pretty thick, meaty envelope. I, I want to warn you that part of the reason it's uh, thick and meaty, as you said, is that it's got a very large sheet of cardboard to keep everything together. So don't get your hopes too high. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, the only part of the date stamp that survived is 2022. Hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not been that long. All right, well, let's see what's in it. Yeah, let's see. Get my knife here. Connor's getting his knife. I don't know if you all can hear him. He's very faint. I've got it open. There's the cardboard. Oh. Oh, some clock spinning stickers. Oh, you got our first merch. That's exciting. I did. Look at that. Oh, these are awesome. Yeah, they're pretty cool, aren't they? They're also thick. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just cardboard that's padding it out. There's there's (laughs) real sticker girth in there, too. And... And a foil candles glow and foil lifted by clouds. <laughs> Just what I've always wanted. <laughs> You've been wanting those for your white blue deck. I have. They're so uh, they're so bendy too. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're they're super I think they've been stored out of sleeve for like uh nineteen years, uh, to really, really get curled. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. This is very special. And you know what, listeners? Uh if you're interested in a clock spinning uh sticker, email us. Nice. All right. Uh, well, uh, before we dive into red, uh, speaking of promotion, uh, we just want to encourage you, if you're liking the show, um, let somebody know. Comment on Reddit, uh, share it with a friend. Uh, we're trying to you know, grow our audience, get some more people enjoying the goodness of bad old Kamigawa cards, and we'd appreciate any help you can give us. Sure do. All right, Connor, should we dive in and uh, look at the next uh, 25 red cards of champions? Yeah, let's, let's close out red here. Um... So we're starting up, we finished last episode with Kiki Jiki, Mirror Breaker, and we're starting today with Kumano, Master Yamabushi. And just a quick reminder, if, if you want to follow along, there's a scryfall search in the show notes that'll show you all the cards we're talking about. Oh, perfect. So Kumano, uh, if you're not following along, is 3RR for a 4-4 Legendary Human Shaman. Uh, With this wonderful ability, you can pay 1R and Kumano deals 1 damage to target creature or player. Uh, If a creature dealt damage by Kumano this turn would be put into a graveyard, remove it from the game instead. So I I don't think I'd be too crazy to call this Red's, maybe Red's strongest creature in the block. It's got instant speed, repeatable pinging. Uh, it shuts down death triggers and soul shift because Kumano exiles anything he kills. And this is all on a five mana 4-4. Four, four. Like this is the kind of card that you want to build a deck around. I think his only real shortcoming is you have to be pretty committed to red to get like maximum value out of him because it costs one R to use that activated ability. Yeah, I think his only real shortcoming in my mind is that he may be just too good. Uh, one of our listeners, Tap Tap, describe this as miserably strong um doesn't totally surprise me like as you said a five mana four four basically gets there on rate already um but the ability here is just so relevant like i don't know basically you can if you got six mana up you can zap you know a three toughness or less creature every turn which is to say i don't know what 60 percent of all the creatures in the block or something like that you can completely hose a soul shift because you don't even need to kill the creature with this ability. You can just ping a creature that's going to die anyway. It makes combat a nightmare. Like I do. My only worry with Kumanu is, is he just too strong? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think he is super strong, but because he appears in what I think we can now say is the block's weakest color, I, I feel like he's. it would be fun to include him as sort of a, a temptation into red. Like, hmm. there are not very many good cards in this color, but Kumano is, like, a very serious reason to have your deck be more committed to red than it would otherwise be. Like, it's going to be hard to get that much value out of Kumano if you're just sort of splashing into red, if you only have, you know, a handful of mountains and not a way to get enough red mana to keep his pinging ability, you know, going. I mean, by you're guaranteed to be having at least two, right? Yeah. You know, which two a turn is already decent. I mean, not that you're going to do it every turn, but the option to shock every turn is pretty darn good. I mean, I, I like the idea of having him in as like a very real reason to go into red, which does not have a whole lot of other very real reasons to go into it. Yeah, I feel like like Maloku, I'm willing to give him a shot. I do think there's a decent chance that this is just too oppressive and he ends up needing to be cut, but I'm, I'm okay giving him a shot. Yeah, I think we should. Sort of surprisingly, Kumano doesn't see that much play in other formats. I don't think he's amazing, so I'm not really surprised that, for example, he only commands 131 EDH decks. Um, but I am somewhat surprised that he appears in just 340 cubes or one or six tenths of a percent. Uh, not that he's super strong, but in like a medium power environment, I actually think Kumano would be pretty decent uh, and really fair, and you know, honestly, just a, a decent five power uh, five drop threat. Yeah, it's it's funny how in in this cube we're very worried about him being too strong. <laughs> right. And we're not sure if he's strong enough to go in most other cubes. Yeah, I was trying to think, would he see play today? And I don't, I mean, I'm certain he wouldn't see play in standard or something. I feel like in a limited environment, like a master set or something, he'd be solid, but not exceptional, which just shows how much uh, power power has gone up since Kamigawa days. Yeah, no kidding. I think my only other real complaint about him is he makes Frostwielder look really bad, uh-huh. which makes me a little sad, you know? I mean, there's not a lot of help needed to make Frostwielder look bad, in my opinion. Ouch. Yeah, I know. Well, no, I have one other complaint about him, which is like, why is he wearing like kind of a coconut bra? I don't I don't understand that. <laughs> you, don't, you don't like the coconut bra? No, I, I don't. I don't like it and I don't understand it. It's not as bad as his pupils, who we'll get to next, who are blatantly wearing a coconut bra. With Kumano, it's more ambiguous. It's, it's definitely a coconut bra shape. The bra pieces, I guess, mm-hmm. look like maybe red pom-poms or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not secured against lateral movement, admittedly. No. But that, that seems like a recipe for chafing, not to put too fine a point on it. Ooh. I'm, yeah. Maybe the pom-poms are really soft. Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah. Hmm. You know, we don't we don't question the ways of the Yamabushi. No. <laughs> not on this show. All right. Uh, I, I'm fine giving him an auto-include for now. I do think there's a chance he just gets too oppressive, but I, I'm fine with keeping him in to start. Uh, can, can we call something an auto-include for now? Oh, you mean are we even allowed to cut auto? Yeah, I mean, later? kind of, kind of philosophically, I feel like he needs to be playable. Oh, that seems wrong. At one copy, I wanted to call him auto include, but if we call him auto include and then we cut him later, huh. that sort of takes a bit of the wind out of the sails of auto include. You mean like, for example, when one of the uh, one of the other auto includes is like writing up their memoir and they put on the cover auto include according to the clock spinning podcast or something like that? You think it's mm. going to diminish it? Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, we'd have to go back and revise Moloku at a minimum if we adopt this new rule, which I'm fine with. Um, hopefully Moloku is okay with it. Well, in that case, let's just call him auto-include for now. Okay. Auto-include for now with an asterisk. <laughs> All right. Okay. Next up, we have Kumano's Pupils. Four and an R for a 3-3 three, three human shaman. 
If a creature dealt damage by Kumano's pupils, this turn would die. Exile it instead. Oi. <laughs> this card isn't great, and looking at it right next to Kumano is particularly brutal, because of course they're both 5 mana. Admittedly, Kumano is legendary and costs an extra designated red, but dropping down to Uncommon basically loses one power, one toughness, and Kumano's most relevant ability. And that uh, that is hurts quite a lot. I do think this thing is probably tolerable. Uh, weirdly, five drops in this set in red are <laughs> sort of uniformly terrible. I believe I did some math. So in the whole block, there are 12 five drops, uh, and only three of them are better than a 3-3. Oh no! In the whole in the whole block. Well, that that kind of puts it in perspective. Yeah. So this is you know this is right in the pocket. This is near. This is like above average for yeah, the, five drop in red. Kumano's pupils are the best of the rest. They have followed his uh, Kumano's coconut bra teachings perfectly. At least one of them has. He's really you know he's got it positioned in exactly the right way. Really looks like he's about to do an exotic dance. <laughs> it looks like he's maybe in the he middle kind of, of one. He kind of is doing an exotic dance. Yeah. So that's a plus. I felt like this is probably a meh, just as kind of a curve filler. I, I don't know if it even really merits that, to be honest. But I, I felt like we're probably going to need some number of these five mana three threes. Yeah, I said, I said meh 2x, just because I think since we're cutting so many things at the lower end of red, I think that maybe we want a little more of Kumano's pupils type cards in just to boost red's mid-range a little bit even though five mana is kind of at the later end of that so i guess two at meh yeah it's at least better than like so ken's on bruiser we're coming up on later and some of the other really lame five mana unplayable creatures yeah and the ability is you know it's relevant against the spirit deck it's not yeah. amazing but it's relevant yeah i love that this is an uncommon by the way mm-hmm. yeah it's a great thing to open yeah all right yeah two meh sure okay all right, let's go to a polarizing card looking at our ratings. Yeah, it sure is. I thought it I thought it might be when I was rating this one. This is Lava Spike R for a sorcery arcane. Lava Spike deals three damage to target player. I rated this card as playable with four copies in the cube. So hear me out on this one. I feel like this could be kind of a core part of this red-blue arcane maybe counter burn type deck that we've sort of been bouncing around for the last few episodes. And I do love a red blue counter burn type deck. This card is arcane. It only costs one mana. It's super easy to splice anything onto it. And it's just like three damage to the face, which I think is relevant enough. Yeah, I don't think it's relevant enough. I think in general, Lava Spike and cards like it underperform in cube because it's just really hard to go face to the extent this thing needs. Like, this card is seen play in modern and stuff, but it's basically seen modern in, like, count to 20 style uh, decks that are just purely focused on face damage. So my concern with Lava Spike is it does nothing, of course, to control the board. And so, like, what does it do? There's no ability to... to I think what there is is there's no ability to follow up on this. There's no ability to support this because the rest of red is so at best, mid-rangey to controlling, and this thing doesn't advance that game plan and isn't supported by any aggressive creatures to make it work. Like, I'm thinking about your red-blue kind of spellsy deck, and I like that deck and want that deck in there, but does that deck want this card? Is that deck trying to go face, or is that deck more trying to, say, dampen thought? Like, if you're on the dampen thought game plan, this thing is useless. Well, if if you are on the dampen thought game plan, it is, but if you are... Going red blue and don't get uh, 
like if you don't get enough dampened thought or if you don't happen to draw into dampened thought, I feel like this can be a useful way to get you a little closer to closing out if you end up, you know, needing to look for every opportunity to splice a glacial ray or, you know, later on use Yamabushi's flame or something to go face. Yeah, I don't know. I just see that arcane deck is really slow and controlling. Yeah. I to to be fair, we haven't like had this deck come up in our playtest games yet, so we haven't, you know, had like hands-on experience with it, but I see I kind of see what you mean. I'm kind of wondering about like bending our rules a little bit and letting you have this and cutting my Aki Avalanchers, which I still feel like sort of deep doubt about. Like, I feel like if we're going to have a sort of mindless, aggressive red deck, I'd rather have Lava Spike than Aki Avalanchers purely because this card is more fun. Now, when you put it that way, Lava Spike is sort of Aki Avalanchers without needing to worry about a blocker or sacrificing Mm -hmm. a land. Well, what what if we just... Pretend I never said to include Aki Avalanchers. We erase that from history. Mm -hmm. And we include four of these. And the next episode, you can tell us that you've uh, rethought it. and We should cut it anyway. Uh, Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, Just for full transparency, I had this as an insta-cut. I just thought this is just... I just don't... I don't think this has the support from the rest of the block, even though I like the card. But I'm willing to try it. Yeah, I want to try it. Maybe we'll, we'll test it out. We'll see how it goes, especially having four copies in. And we'll find it's just not doing anything. But I want to try. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, this also got a uh, old border printing in Time Spiral Remastered, which I love. It really fits this art uh, to a T because this is some real old school magic art right here. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of confusing art, though, because it it's showing this mortal, some human monk or shaman or someone standing in the foreground. And from his pose, it's kind of unclear whether he's casting a spell or like throwing his hands up to protect himself. And to me, it looks like the mortal is calling the lava spike, but the lava spike is clearly about to slam into him. And it's also an arcade spell, so he's probably not the one responsible for it. Just pretty pretty weird arrangement of parts. It's funny you say that, because I had always kind of thought that he was the spellcaster, just because typically when you see a pose like this, you know, it's the person doing the spell. But I think now that you've pointed it out, he's the victim. You know, he's dropping his... I don't think he's casting a fire spell with his staff. I think his staff is on fire and he's dropping it. Yeah. And the rest of them's on fire. Yeah. Yeah. He's about to get lava spike, but it looks like, especially with the staff, like it looks like he is calling this thing. Yeah. You really got to study it, but yeah, I think he's about to get consumed by this gigantic three damage fireball. Maybe he is casting the spell, but he aimed it really poorly. That's true. It's target player. He could have accidentally targeted himself. Doesn't say target opponent. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with moving this to like a 4X. Um, I don't know that I go to your playable. Like, what about build around? Okay. Okay, yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah, you go into this deck and you make it work or you don't and it gets cut. Yeah, okay. I like it. Bu- build around four? Yes. Okay, let's go to one of our many ritual effects. Mana Sizem. One R for a sorcery. Sacrifice any number of lands. Add one to your mana pool for each land sacrifice this way. Uh, so first of all, there are so many ritual effects in this set. I think there's like four ritual effects in red in this set, which just seems totally crazy out, out of 50 cards. Uh, and I think it speaks to that wizards didn't really consciously design limited sets in the same way they do today. And that in particular, I don't think they thought as much about how rarity and playability interact with each other. Like I think part of the mm. reason red is so underwhelming in this set is that 
it has its common slots are just clogged with stuff like this desperate ritual lava spike like all these cards that don't really do anything in a dra- typical draft um or sealed context uh and so therefore its playability really suffers relative to something like black which has just tons of great removal or green which you know green in the set isn't uh, as exciting but it's just tons of mid-range creatures with really solid stat lines also obviously this card is terrible in cube i don't, <laughs> don't think there's any chance we're including this but also I, i'm puzzled in general by the the sheer quantity and density of ritual effects yeah those are all good points, but I do want to point out that this is actually uncommon. Oh, uh, that's painful. Anyway, common and uncommon. Just pretend I said that at the start. It's great. It hurts even more to get this in like a retail limited environment. I think what bothers me so much about this ritual effect specifically is that it adds one colorless to your mana pool. Yeah, that's just an extra kick in the teeth, isn't it? Why? It really is. You know, like you can't, What do you? what do you use this mana for? You can't use it to you know trigger a bunch of kumano effects you can't use it to close the gap and be able to drop some bomb like myogen of infinite rage or whatever like it gives one colorless mana what are you going to do with that yeah i wonder if this card has ever seen play i can't say i've ever seen it i remember ever seeing it pop up even in like the weirdest you know weirdest like storm list or something i just don't think this has ever gotten there that i'm aware of yeah it's definitely not getting there for me yeah, it feels like there's something you could do with it. I don't know what. Maybe there's just not. Maybe it's just terrible. It's kind of like a terrible high tide. Like it kind of doubles your mana for the turn in a way, right? But then you lose then all you your land. Um, it's a, you know, a bit of a cost. I mean, it's definitely bad in the queue, but I think it's also probably just bad in general. It's asking for a little too much mental work to try to figure out where this could possibly be useful. Maybe this is another card I need to start collecting in foil. Except the art isn't that great either. No, it's not. Funny that it shows all five colors of mana coming out of the ground. But <laughs> you can actually just get a colorless. <laughs> That's an extra extra <laughs> little funny bit. Yeah, just a little artistic rub in. Maybe originally it added like any combination of colors. It seems unlikely, but they have given that to red, I guess, once with Manamorphos. Maybe only once, but maybe originally it did that. Huh. Yeah, maybe. I also think this card has a really awkward name. Like, I don't know if Sizem, you know, versus Seismic. I don't think Sizem is a word. If it is, it's really awkward to say. I feel yeah. it feels unnatural saying it. Sizem. Mana Sizem. Sizem up. Yeah. Well, I think we have a lot of reasons to insta-cut this. Yeah, many reasons. All right. We have Sizemed this up and found it insta-cuttable. Oh. Ugh. Yeah, I know. Hey, at least uh. I didn't use it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Get it out of the way now. Okay, let's get this next one out of the way. Mind Blaze. 5R for a sorcery. Name a non-land card and choose a number greater than zero. Target player reveals his or her library. If that library contains exactly the chosen number of the named card, Mind Blaze deals 8 damage to that player. Then that player shuffles. I hate everything about this card. <laughs> I hate it. Hateable. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate this like meta knowledge element that we've talked about before where it's it's asking you to sort of either either guess or in constructed know what your opponent is going to be running and get that exactly right not just the name of the card but the exact number of the card i hate that this costs 6 and it it only deals 8 even if you get the prediction right i hate this photorealistic like completely generic art which for me is another <laughs> complete miss from john avon i know he, we've been talking about what a hit parade he is but this i find this i i actually want to speak up in defense of the card in a second but the the art here is terrible it's so boring 
Yeah, it's just, I mean, this could have, it's not just generic to Magic the Gathering. Like, this art could have been in anything. Well, I don't know about anything. Like, any anything where someone's mouth and eyes are on fire. <laughs> okay, that, that does start out a bit. This art could have been used in. I was going to say, I don't know if you could use it as, say, the cover of a romance novel. I mean. Maybe. That's a, that's a kind of mind blaze. Uh-huh. Huh. Finally, I hate that I pulled this as a rare multiple times back in the day because this is a rare. Do, do you think you're carrying trauma from that and it's biased you against this card? Definitely. I, I still have like this giant five inch thick binder that I keep. It's just full of mind blazes. It's all mind blazes. <laughs> it's just like 45 copies of my mind blaze on every page. Every time I open it, I'm like, I thought it, I thought that I had this one red rare from Kenny Goblin. And it turns out it's just another mind blaze. You could have gotten Ryusei. You could have gotten Kumano. Never seen either of those in the flesh. Through the breach. Yep. Okay, so tell me why you think this is defensible. I think it's marginally defensible. So my first instinct was like yours. So this is terrible. The rate is poor. The whiff risk is unacceptable. As I started thinking about it more, I actually think the rate here is not a complete joke. Eight damage is, if you just like in your head go like six to eight, like six colon eight, the ratio sounds bad. But eight damage is actually pretty big game. Um, that's like a more than a third of your opponent's life total. Near the end of the game, there's a pretty good chance this thing is just a, an instant kill spell. Now, admittedly, today for you know you can you, you have similar cards like this, like uh, Soren's Vengeance, that deal uh, far more for basically the same. But anyway, let's just pretend that's not true. So I, I think the damage here is actually real. And then the other thing is, I think this whiff risk is maybe not quite as high as it seems. Uh, and one reason I think that is. We've basically settled into a pattern of legends get one copy each in the queue. I think we're going to stick to that pattern and we're going to have a ton of legends. And so if you can either get a cold read on what legends your opponent's running or bring this in out of the sideboard, I think if your opponent hasn't cast their legends, there's a pretty good chance you hit with this. What, what do you think? Is that a little too Baroque or am I onto something? I mean, see, that's kind of like, I think that you're right, but that's kind of what I dislike about it is that if you if you just have this in your deck from the get-go and you play it in game one, you know, maybe you if if you have a lot of experience with the cube and you know what legends are in and what, you know, is is realistic to expect your opponent to have, then, you know, maybe it works. Well, you're not gonna suggest we let people play this who can't name the Oracle text of every Kamigawa legend when asked. Well, I mean I think that's a given, but it's still a lot of cards to remember. Yeah, but then that the second scenario of sideboarding this in in game two after maybe you've already seen the legendary card pop up in the previous game, I, I don't really like that either because now you're just sideboarding in knowing that it's going to work, and in that case, it's just a six mana eight damage to the face, which like there's nothing exciting about. I disagree on that. I think if this was six deal eight, it would be medium, and I would kind of have a soft spot for it in the same way I have a soft spot for lava axe. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I guess we can try one copy, but I just... Well, uh, hold on. Can I just give you one more thought on this? Yeah. Three plus three plus three plus three plus eight equals 20. So Uh if you draft all four of your Lava Spikes and a Mind Blaze, that's it. You can count to 20, Connor. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm fine insta-cutting this if you want, to be honest. I like I had this in Instacut and then I thought maybe I should call this meh just to generate some discussion, but it's not a card that I'm excited to go to bat for, that's for sure. 
Yeah, I just I just don't feel like there's anything exciting about it. You know, one more thing about this is like John Avon's great, and I feel like a card called Mind Blaze in a set where the art is this wacky could have looked so much more interesting. Yes. Yes. All right. All right. Let's just cut it. I'm, let's just instant cut it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's go to the Myogen of Infinite Rage. Seven. R, R, R. That's 10 mana. Myogen of Infinite Rage. Seven, four. Legendary Spirit. It enters with a divinity counter if you played it from your hand. It's indestructible as long as it has a divinity counter on it. And you can remove that divinity counter to destroy all lands. Uh, I'll just get this out of the way at the front. I have this as an insta-cut. I'm worried at this point I'm kind of rating all the Myogen by default without considering their true pros and cons. But to be honest, they're all just so horrifically, mind-bogglingly expensive that it's really hard for me to, to find space for any of them. This thing costs 10 mana. That makes it like a turn 12, maybe a thir- turn 13 play. And I just, I don't know how you take advantage of an Armageddon effect when you're a deck that's trying to cast 10 drops. Like that just feels like like a weird contradiction, you know? Like Armageddon is a decent, not amazing effect in cube. When paired with aggro cards, you know, it's, you go like one drop, two drop, three drop, Armageddon, knock you out of the game. But like my Gen Infinite Rage uh, doesn't, doesn't really fit into that play pattern. So I just don't know what he does. I think I feel a little more positively about him, but I think part of that is biased by the Myogen that we've seen so far. So we've kept the white Myogen, which is a little bit cheaper, and then we cut the blue one and the black one. I feel like this probably just on like pure power level, this Myogen maybe doesn't quite make the cut either, but I think there's a few reasons to like give him a little more consideration than the blue and the black ones. 7-4 is not too bad like seven is a lot of power in this set that's that's big that's big game that is big game there are not very many things with seven or more power in this set and that is going to close out a game pretty quickly if your opponent doesn't have an answer which they probably won't as long as he's indestructible yeah that's a good point because i've been thinking about him from the effect perspective but maybe you're right that like the primary here is a 10 mana 10 mana god 10 mana (laughs) seven four indestructible and that's um maybe that's kind of okay I think that's something. And then being able to destroy all lands if you want to can kind of, you know, stop your opponent from doing anything else to try to bounce back. You know, I think you're right that there's a big difference between this and Armageddon because this is coming in so late. Your opponent has probably played, you know, honestly, most of what they're going to play. And they probably do not have a 10 mana spell that they're holding on to unless they also have a Myogen, mm-hmm. which they won't mm-hmm. because we've cut them all. Right. <laughs> You know, I, I, I don't think that getting rid of all lands on turn 10 or 11 is the most relevant effect, but it does, you know, stop your opponent from the turn after you play this, getting an answer to it. I don't think it's going to be good enough, but I'm okay calling it a meh to start and seeing if it somehow gets cast and then somehow does something. Yeah, meh. I, I rated it meh. I want I, I want more than one of these Myogen to make it in. Yeah, I'm I'm sympathetic to that goal. There are 10 decks commanded by the Myogen of Infinite Rage on EDH rec, and I just, I salute all 10 of those people. I'm sure they're total trolls, but I love them for trying to make this thing uh, into a commander. <laughs> oh, like, can you imagine the deck that is trying to get this commander out? And then if he dies and you're trying to play for 12 minutes, you can see it coming the whole time, too. <laughs> yeah. like, I guess I'll just play everything before you get your commander out there. You could have a ton of artifact mana and like be kind of a wildfire deck. I mean, that sounds terrible to be honest, but it'd be, be kind of funny. 
hey, use this with mana sizem. Uh-huh. Ramp to this Myogen. Since he's got seven colorless mana, and you you already want all the lands gone. This is the tech. This is why it doesn't give you red mana. It's too powerful with my genetic rage. There you go. Someone on uh, Gatherer pointed out that you can use Fist of Suns to cast this for Wubberg instead of 7RRR. And uh-huh. I couldn't tell if that was a joke or not. Uh- <laughs> Fist of Suns, of course, lets you cast anything for Wubberg. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yes, why, you, why wouldn't you use you it to cast, cast this for Infinite Rage? I mean, he would definitely be my first choice with Fist of Suns. God, that sure makes me want to build a casual, like casual deck that is like Fist of Suns, hardcast, overpriced Kimigawa Legends. Like <laughs> I really enjoy playing that. Myogen Tribal. Just have a special spot in the cube for Fist of Suns. You know, you say that, and I also started. I I'm gonna later on. I was gonna say this later, but I'll just. Oh, I was gonna say it next card, so I'll just say it now. We've talked about running other lands because the mana here is terrible. So we've talked about better fixing, and that started my thoughts down the process of like, what about putting Wasteland in the cube? You know, there's hmm. Stone Rain, there's Orgorger coming up next. Could, could we put like a land denial thing? I still don't think that's good with the Mage of Infinite Rage, to be honest. But it just started me thinking about how I really like destroying lands. Yeah. You know, we could put Crucible Crucible of Worlds in, you know, while we're breaking rules. Why not? <laughs> we need we need like a special rule break episode. Okay, I'll add it to the backlog. Okay. There could be two bits to it. Like one is, are we going to break the rules? And then if we decide we aren't going to, what cards would be most worth breaking the rules for? Yeah. I mean, my yeah. first choice would be the ninjas. And spoiler, uh, Betrayers of Kamigawa has only six ninjas for some reason, which is criminal. Yeah, that is upsetting. Speaking of Gatherer, um, there's a great Gatherer comment pointing out a combo I really like. So they they point out a combo with this card and Tyrant of Discord. Uh, so Tyrant of Discord costs four RRR. So in total, this combo would cost, as they say, 11 red, 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 red. So 17 mana. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> what uh, Tyrant of Discord does is target opponent chooses a permanent they control at random and sacrifices it. If a non-land permanent is sacrificed this way, repeat this process. So if you Majin of Infinite Rage and Tyrant of Discord, you see where I'm going, Connor? Oh, yeah. They sack their whole board. Whoa. And it only costs you 11 red, 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 red. Yeah. No, no, you put in your Fist of Suns deck and it costs... There you go. This is all coming together now. Or you could door to nothingness, admittedly. But, you know... Way cooler. I feel like the Myogen of Infinite Rage is really risking destroying the whole the whole philosophy behind this cube now. Is it still worth is it still worth keeping him in? Are you worried it sent me down like a kind of mad scientist path? Let's uh let's keep it in at meh for now. And if it if he becomes too dangerous, then we may need to to cut him just to rein you in. Okay. All right. Meh one X. Okay. I think you'll probably like this next one, at least more than mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Aura Gorger, 3RR for a 3-1 spirit. That is 5 mana for a 3-1 spirit. Whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, you may destroy target non-basic land. So once again, this is a 5 mana 3-1 with Ooh. a spirit craft trigger that destroys only non-basic land. Does not have soul shift, does not have any other ability. I think this is just awful. You're probably right, but I still kind of want to include it. I think the answer here partially depends on what mana base we concoct. So if we just assumed we were sticking with the like actual Kamigawa block land fixing, this card would be terrible because there's very little fixing. Much of what's there is arguably so bad you'd rather run a basic over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I don't think Orgorger does much in that context. 
I think we're almost certainly uh, at this point, unless you're going to tell me now that you really disagree, planning to include lands from outside the block for fixing. Not amazing lands, but just lands that help cast spells and enable two-color decks. Mm -hmm. And in that context, maybe this is sort of kind of decent. So I started thinking about the math. So my main cube runs a pretty high density of lands. Uh, I like that because I I like people being able to cast spells. Uh, I run 65 lands out of 455 cards. So it's about 14%. And with that, I would say on average, a player has like one to three non-basic lands out by turn six or seven. Does that check out for you? Like at least one non-basic typically, often more like two or three by turn six or seven. Yeah, I I think that's probably right. Okay, all right. In that case, like, if this thing triggers once against that board state, it's like, that's actually okay. That's kind of like an Avalanche Riders. Um, And Avalanche Riders is a really solid card. If this triggers twice, if this hits two of your opponent's lands, I think I'm pretty dang happy at that point. Like a five mana three one that's killed two lands. That seems awesome. That's like, that's like a much worse plow under, Connor. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. It's still a five mana three one. It's not just about the power of toughness here, Connor. It's the it's the killing lands. It's like um what's the what's the five drop two two that destroys lands or artifacts or enchantments in green? What's that? The cube staple. Uh drawing a blank on that one. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's got like acid in the name. I'm sorry, listeners. Yeah, yeah, I know you're yeah. all screaming at your headphones. Anyway. Uh, some kind of ooze, right? Yeah, yeah, something Something ooze. Oh, man, this is painful. If you know, right? (laughs) Yeah, okay, let's move on from that example because it's hurting me. I don't know. I want Orgordrin as a 2x map because I really want to make some kind of stupid land destruction deck work. Okay, you're you're right that whether he has a place is going to depend on what the mana base ends up being. I think think what bothers me about Orgordrin even more than the 5-mana 3-1 thing is that you're not even really guaranteed to get this trigger. Yeah, that's the challenge with a lot of these. You know, this isn't an ETB effect. You're not guaranteed at all to get rid of a non-basic land, even assuming your opponent has one that you do want to get rid of. Mm -hmm. Uh, You still need another card to get that value out of Orgorger. And until Mm -hmm. then, he's just that 3-1 who's vulnerable to a Frost Wielder. It's Acidic Slime, by the way, that card that we were... So painfully not able there to remember. There, I mean, we we were sort of we, triangulating in on it. We really were. Slowly and painfully. What yeah. about calling it a build around, Connor? Uh, okay. And we return to it and we see how many non-basics make it in. Okay. All right. I suspect I face another uphill battle when we get to Stone Rain in a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that one. All right. I, I haven't looked at your ratings, so I'm excited to see where you land on it. All right. Build around two? Yeah. Let's talk about Pain Kami. 2R for a 2-2 spirit. XR sack it. Pain Kami deals X damage to target creature. I, I think this guy's pretty dang good. I, when you first read it, it's like, oh wow, three mana two two that can kill itself. But actually, three mana two two is okay. He can kill basically every creature in the block. Uh, and you will have the mana. You know, this is a kind of slow, grindy format. I think he's very likely to trade with something relevant. He's got the two for one potential because of course, as we keep saying ad nauseum, like damage on the stack. So you block a two, two with this and then kill another creature. That's Mm -hmm. pretty, that's doing a lot of work for a three drop creature. And then soul shift, like the biggest gap in a lot of the other soul shift colors is at three mana. So this thing is great. It's just a splash in the soul shift deck. Like I, I'm pretty high on pain. Kami. What do you think, Connor? Yeah, I think he's great. I, I, I think it definitely falls into playable for me. Like three mana, two, two is just fine as a rate yeah like like we keep banging on about with damage on the stack like he can get rid of anything and that is 
a, a pretty powerful thing to have, I think, especially in red, where you don't necessarily have many answers to anything bigger than maybe a 3-3. Yeah, this even saw standard play back in the day um, with a red-green Kiki-Jiki list. Adam Greidehoish, sorry, I've never said this name out loud, um, writes that he often included as a 4X, which is sort of hard to believe, oh. but that also seems pretty good as like a way to, as he said, tamp down white weenie and tamp down aggressive decks. Like this thing is a major wall in the way of, say, a, a red deck that, I don't know, think about our Kitsune Blademaster friend, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Your opponent has like a 2-2 and a Kitsune Blademaster. This can stymie the 2-2 and then uh, hammer down the Blademaster for just three mana. Like that is a pretty good rate. Yeah, the the fact that it's scalable too, that you know, this can target anything from a Kitsune Blademaster all the way up to Kuro if you have enough mana makes it like I think a pretty valuable tool to have. Yeah, I actually can't think of another creature in the set that scales in quite that way. You know, like a three yeah. drop that could scale all the way to the late game and kill, you know, and eliminate most threats. That's pretty darn good. There are not gonna be that many turns where you're too upset about drawing Painkami. You might be upset by the art though. It's pretty Pretty weird, pretty freaky, and I, I think it definitely does a good job of evoking pain. There's a lot of gnashing teeth, a lot of big spikes coming out of this guy. Just the shape of him is sort of like a starfish, and if you took all these horrifying elements out, he might look kind of friendly. I don't think so. I think he'd still look gross. He's almost entirely horrifying elements. I mean, if you took all the horrifying elements out, he'd kind of look like Patrick from SpongeBob. I don't think so, because his, his, his arms are basically slugs. Mm-hmm. Like what would be left if you took away the horrifying elements? Like just his legs, part of his legs? <laughs> the shape of a starfish with a face. Yeah, a face whose eyes are mouths. Yes, a face made of teeth. God, this art. Yeah, I, I really find this art horrible and disgusting, which I think means it's doing exactly what it's meant to do. Mm-hmm. How many of these do you have? I have it as like a 3X playable. I think this is just a key essential card for the red deck. Yeah, exactly the same here. Three, three exit playable. Boom. Let's get him in there. All right. Welcome to the party, Pain Kami. All right. Uh, we got another pretty playable one coming up here. Mm-hmm. Ronin Houndmaster. 2R for a 2-2 human samurai with haste and Bushido 1. I was pretty pleasantly surprised to see two good to great three drops in red just back to back here. I don't think Ronin Houndmaster is quite on Kitsune Blademaster levels of power or kbm as i think we should call it from here on out we need to to save time it's a natural yeah. comparison too isn't it? It, it it i mean it really invites it like same same mana cost same stat line also a samurai also bushido one yeah it's like gray ogre with color mechanic and bushido one yeah so so we got kitsune blade master kbm i guess ronin Houndmaster would be rhm then mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. harder to say uh but yeah i think this is you know it's not quite on that level but definitely playable with red yeah i think there's almost a challenge for red of like red is bad except it has a decent number uh, almost an embarrassment actually of decent three drops like we've got pain kami we got ronin houndmaster but if i just like scroll through the spoiler i don't have the list up right now but there uh, when i went to look there's just a ton of really solid red three drops almost to the extent of like there's there's too many. You you can't have your entire deck <laughs> consist of uh, three drops, and I am slightly worried about that. And yeah. I'll say I'm pretty high on this thing. I think it's one of the few cards that really enables Red to be aggressive. Once he stops being good, he blocks as a three three, which is totally tolerable. Well, with what you're saying about the number of three drops, I'm not sure. I I had said playable at three copies, and I'm wondering if maybe that's too much. 
No, I think that's okay to start. I think, you know, so here's the thing. We've already got, just in this set, we've been high on Aki Kolflinger, Brothers Yamazaki, who I think we said we're putting something like four of them in, uh, mm-hmm. Pain Kami, and Ronin Houndmaster. Now, the three drops do get kind of worse, and we have Zozu the Punisher coming up later. The three drops do get worse after this set. So we are have gotten through most of the really good three drops, except for uh, maybe Ghostlit Raider after this set. I don't know. Anyway, I, I think we could start with three, and if it's just too clogged, I probably would go down on Houndmasters before I go down on Pain Commies. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And we we need to kind of play play with both of them and see which one. I, I suspect you're right that it's Pain Commie, but, you know, see which one you want more of the time. Yeah, they kind of go in different decks, right? This goes into the hopefully possible more aggressive red deck. And I think Pain Commie goes more into the grinded out slower red deck. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, contemporary articles like this thing a lot. When I uh, was looking for draft guides from back in the day, they generally rate this anywhere from middle of the pack to like just below Glacial Ray and Yamabushi's Flame. I don't think it's quite that good, but I I think it's solid. Yeah, agreed. All right, three playable. All right, let's go to our next dragon. Ryusei, the Falling Star. 5R for a 5-5 legendary dragon spirit with flying. When Ryusei dies, it deals five damage to each creature without flying. Whew. All right. Every one of these dragon spirits is exciting. They're all big. They're all like really big, actually, by Kamigawa standards. Like a 5-5 flyer is always great on its own. This kills something like 80% of the creatures in the block, which is a huge game. I will also point out Magic Draft Pro from back in the day, Richard Hohen, actually considered this worse than Moss Kami Unlimited, which I found fascinating. Wow. Um, He wrote... As opposed to the other dragons, Ryusei's ability is generally a drawback rather than a bonus. In green-red, Ryusei's triggered ability is at its worst, making him significantly worse than Moskami, Kami, or the Land Dragon, uh, which A, I love and want to adopt this nickname for Moskami of the Land Dragon. <laughs> that is great. But B, I can see what he means. Like, none of your other red creatures fly, so this... And we've seen this actually when we've playtested it. Like Ryusei does kind of read like wipe the board and more likely to wipe your side of the board than your opponents if if they have any flyers. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. It's, it definitely doesn't make him not an auto-include for us. Uh, but yeah, that is an interesting yeah. point. A six mana 5-5 five, five flyer with drawback would probably still be still <laughs> yeah. there in the set. Yeah, I think six mana 5-5 five, five flyer, like we're we're there. And I'm generally fine breaking cycles in cube. You know, I don't, I think it's a trap to think you need to run every card in a cycle, but we are running all five dragons, right, Connor? There's no chance we're not. Definitely. I mean, we're already at four out of five. I don't think we're going to abandon that when we get to Jugon. Yeah, well. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> we'll get there in a little bit. Yeah, I think this thing's great. It's got great art too. I like the, I like how incredibly dark the palette is, which makes the red flames almost like glow on the card. I'm surprised we don't see this more in red cards, to be honest. Yeah, it's a really cool effect really high contrast i I also just sort of put two and two together as you were reading the name of this card and the effect but he's called the falling star and then his death trigger is dealing five damage to each creature without flying which when read together kind of creates this cool idea of him being like a a falling star or a meteor like crashing into the earth destroying everything when he falls Mm. which is kind of cool i love that Okay, I have some really deep cut trivia from a Wizards article back in the day, which I enjoyed. I'm just going to read you a little extensive snippet about uh, Ryusei, but also about card names of Kamigawa. Play it on us. Uh, The first sentence, this is kind of funny. One aspect that makes the Kamigawa block stand out from previous magic sets is the Asian sounding names on many of the cards. Mm. Uh, I found that funny. Uh Like 
uh, rather than Japanese sounding. I don't, I don't know why they went with Asian sounding. Uh, anyway, like Kusari Gama, Brothers Yamazaki, and Isao Enlightened Bushi. According to Brady, earlier plans for card names were far more grandiose. Originally, we were going to put card names in normal English, then put the anglicized Japanese names below them, almost like subtitles. For example, a card might be called Fearsome Ogre, but it would have a second, smaller name line underneath it with its Japanese title, Obakemono. Wow. While such a plan would certainly thoroughly convey the Japanese theme of the set, the card real estate necessary to implement it was a sticking point. Creative pulled back a bit and tried using the theoretical subtype line a little more sparingly. We almost gave a lot of the legends really long titles that would have taken two lines, said Brady. Ryusei the Falling Star would have been something like Ryusei the Falling Star, Lord of the Sokenzen Heights, with the second half of the name going on a second name line. The idea was to instill some grandiosity, splendor, and history into the card names themselves, but names that long were tough for the rest of R&D to swallow. Wow, that is some great trivia. Isn't that fun? Yeah, Ryusei the Falling Star, Lord of Sokenzen Heights. I mean, that sounds awesome. It's it's hard for me to even picture like a name, you know, two name lines fitting in the, the space of this text box. I feel like today, if someone had brought this up, they might have gone for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, they did this, right? They did this with the Godzilla cards, you know, where they have a Godzilla card name and then they have a little subtitle. So they, they kind of returned to this idea in a funny way. Yeah, that's true. That is a really cool idea. I had never heard that. Yeah, it's funny with all the complaints from players about this set being like two Japanese. Like, I think that would have taken it to the next level for not so much the the like Lord of the Sokens and Heights variant, but every card having a Japanese name under it, like Obakemono. That I think that would have been a little a little confusing for people. Yeah, it would have been uh, fun to you know maybe go to a pre-release or Friday Night Magic and have someone insist on using the Japanese name for every single card. <laughs> oh man, there would have been that guy, wouldn't it? That guy definitely would have been there. Uh. You know, one last thing about Ryusei. Uh, he's definitely an auto-include. But if you really think about it, he's just kind of a slightly bigger flying Earthshaker. And I'm fine with that. I'm happy with that. One more, one more thing. Uh, our traditional EDH rec stats, he commands 18 decks, which is miserable, but he appears in 7,000, which ain't too bad. Popular. Let's go to a slightly less popular uh, card. <laughs> yeah, maybe not quite as well-loved. Uh, is Shimatsu the Blood Cloaked. 3R for a 0-0 Legendary Demon Spirit. <laughs> As Shimatsu comes into play, sacrifice any number of permanents. Shimatsu comes into play with that many plus one, plus one counters on it. <sighs> I can't tell if Shimatsu is just complete garbage because I imagine playing him on turn four, on curve, <laughs> sacrificing all of your permanents to him or just having a four mana zero zero. I can't tell if that's the real Shimatsu or if he's a secret stealth late game bomb that breaks a stalemate by letting you sack a bunch of lands or something to get a giant creature out that your opponent can't deal with. I, th- I think the first one is probably right. I wrote that this is one of those cards back in the day where I just assumed it must be decent because they wouldn't print. Surely wizards wouldn't give me a rare that's just a complete and utter like pile of garbage. But I think they did in this case, and I think they may still be pulling the wool over your eyes. Like when you like this card is basically a four mana zero zero with devour one. Um, and if you look at how devour was used, <laughs> it was usually used on like creatures that had their own power and toughness and often gave you other rewards for devouring creatures. Uh, like I, I don't know. I think this guy's pretty bad. 
it really hurts. He's a zero zero. Like couldn't even give him the one one to let him live on his own. He probably he could have been a two two, right? Or yeah, this is nothing there. Had maybe menace or something. Like I maybe he'd be too good with trample, but would he? I don't think he would be too good with trample. Like if you okay, so if he had trample and you sacked like all your lands plus a creature. So let's say you sack five permanents. He's a five five trampler that cost you five other cards. That that seems more than fair. But Austin, only four mana. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I've been blood cloaked. I also have this. So the binder is just mind blazes and shimatsus. <laughs> I feel like I have like seven of these too. I probably have like one, but I feel like I have a ton. Yeah, I, I don't know if we've said it yet, but this is a rare. Of course, it's legendary. And yeah, it's it's one of those cards that, that you're right. Back in the day when we started playing, you know, I was I was twelve when this card came out. And you just assume like, you know, they're not they're not gonna make a card that's just really bad, especially if it's rare and legendary and it's this cool big demon spirit thing. Like there there must be some secret power here that I just need to figure out. And then, you know, this is gonna be the center of my demon deck. Oh man. Yeah, there's a lot of gatherer jokes or memes that this is basically a strictly better wood elemental. Wood elemental being a card from Alpha that was kind of the first meme card in Magic. The first like, is there any way this card is good? No, it's not. It's just terrible. Uh, I feel like, you know, when you're when you're getting memed about in the same sentence as wood elemental, you're not in a very good place yeah. as a card. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the art here? I kind of like it. So Shimatsu is basically a, he's a pretty classic kind of demon. He's a little Japanese looking, but Pretty standard demon in a lot of ways, but he's got like a bunch of kind of arms with mouths on the back, on the end of them coming out of his back. I think that's yeah. kind of appreciably freaky. I like that. Yeah, those are cool. I like his his face is sort of like an Oni skull. He's got that very prominent third eye in the middle, his big long tongue. I do like the art, but I my complaint about it is that he's called Shimatsu the Blood Cloaked. And the only apparent blood cloaking in this art is the fact that he's red. His skin is red. Yeah, there's no blood going on. Yeah, more blood, please. Like, there's no blood here unless he's just already, like, soaked it all in. Yeah, that's a good point. I like the art, which makes the card that much more It's definitely the best feature of the card. (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely true. Second best feature would be the Typeline Legendary Demon Spirit. Yeah. But what do you think? You know, and I think I know what the third best feature is. I think it's the name. It's a cool name. Oh, okay. All right. All right. And the fourth best is the um, the Kamigawa set symbol, which is which is a, one of the all time great set symbols. It's, it's a nice set <laughs> symbol, especially with this shiny gold for red. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, in, Instacut it. Instacut. By the way, this commands thirteen decks, which is like what? inexplicable to me. That that's got to be like a challenge or something, right? Wow. That's that's a hard deck to imagine. Oh, uh, wait, no, there was one more. Um, one more thing I wanted to say about this, which is someone, uh, Ben Doolittle, wrote an article for EDH Rec where he tried to build a deck around this. Oh, there you go. Uh, and he put together this enjoyably Baroque combo that I'm just going to share with you. So you got your Shimatsu sitting in your command zone. You've got a card called Treasure Nabber, um, who's a little red creature that says, when an opponent taps an artifact for mana, gain control of it until the end of your next turn. You tracking? Mm-hmm. And then you got Mycosynth Lattice, which turns all permanents into artifacts. Okay. Your opponent taps their lands. You gain control of all of them with your treasure nabber. And then boom, you sack them all to your Shimatsu. Got them. Boom. Look Take at that. that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, there's probably better things you could do with the Mycosynth Lattice plus a Treasure Dabber, admittedly. <laughs> probably a few. But, uh, you know, you, or you could do that. Yeah, I mean, I think just getting all their lands is probably <laughs> pretty good. Enough of a reward. <laughs> yeah. Shimatsu is just gravy. Yeah. Okay. Blood. All right. Bloody gravy. All right. <laughs> we'll leave you with that. Let's move on. Yeesh. All right. Let's go to Sideswipe. Sideswipe is one and an R for an instant. You may change any targets of target arcane spell. Oh, uh, boy. Uh, I think this is probably pretty bad. I think this could cost one, and it would still be pretty bad. I think it could probably cost one Phyrexian red mana, and I think it would still be pretty bad. I, I did start doubting myself a little bit. I was like, is there some weird place for this where it, I don't know, it redirects Glacial Ray or Pull Under or Rend Flesh? Those are all good things to redirect to your opponents. Mm-hmm. Those those get you two for ones, Connor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I found a, an article, that same Rich Hoenn article, says you can use some people actually not can some people did use this as anti dampen thought technology out of the sideboard which you know that's something uh yeah yeah that i don't is know what, what do you think Connor? something i think i'm is that, is that enough i'm gonna have to sideswipe left on this one. Oh, you've been waiting to use that one yeah out you. Pretty i good. was pretty happy with that's that pretty one. good so I thought about doing a deep dive into all their arcane spells that this could work on by my count there are 65 targeted arcane spells that you could sideswipe. Uh, and then I just gave up on doing that because I realized that there are three scenarios for this card. Okay. First one is your opponent plays Glacial Ray, maybe Lava Spike, Kodama's Might, some other targeted arcane spell that mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. does a thing you want to redirect. That'd be pretty good. Or Strength of Cedars. Yeah, yeah. You pay two mana to sideswipe it. Yeah. And you also use a card. You giggle a little bit knowing that you've sideswiped, but you know that you could have just accomplished the same thing by drafting and playing the card that you Wait, just sideswiped. Hold, hold on. Before you go to scenario two, is that true? Because if your opponent rend fleshes and you sideswipe it to kill one of their creatures instead, isn't that a two for one? You spent one card and they lost two, whereas if you had your own rend flesh, it'd be a one for one, Connor. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Isn't it actually a three for one because you saved your creature? <laughs> isn't it actually a four for one because your opponent's dignity will also be destroyed in the interaction <laughs> make it stop <laughs> i need to walk you through the other two scenarios which are far more likely okay fine fine but my first scenario is already good enough all right scenario number two opponent plays something like tarashi's cry you have had sideswipe in your hand for five turns didn't we cut tarashi's cry we did Okay. But as an example of the kind of arcane spell you might be encountering. I'm just undermining you at every turn. <laughs> you are. You're really like going to bat for Sideswipe. They play something like Tarashi's Cry, which is 3W to tap three target creatures, mm-hmm. which we cut. Yeah. They play something like that. Not in this cube, but in some other cube. Damp- because... Dampen Thought, maybe. Okay. They play Dampen Thought. You've had Sideswipe in your hand for the last five turns, mm-hmm. and you just play it to do something, just to sideswipe dampen thought back at them and it doesn't really do much of anything scenario number three your opponent either has or plays no targeted arcane spells at all all game sideswipe sits in your hand for that entire game (laughs) you are sad (laughs) i think this is a sideboard card if it's anything right i don't think you main deck this card definitely not Uh, so can i say one more thing i just i think i just now realized i think the reason this says any targets is the way splice works is the rules text gets added to the rules text of the card you're casting. So this would change, let's say your opponent splices a glacial ray on a glacial ray. You can change the target of the full thing. 
See what I'm saying? That's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of interesting. But that's sort of, I don't know, to me, that's like putting a hat on a hat a little bit. You know, that's that's assuming scenario number one that your opponent actually has sorry not just just, putting a hat on a hat is that a new is that a new magic bit of jargon we just coined that's that's the thing put a hat on a hat okay you know that's assuming that your opponent has not just the one targeted arcane spell that you actually want to sideswipe but a second one that they're going to splice onto it that you also care about that also targets something and you're you're keeping sideswipe around for that no you're not because you're putting it in you're, you're pulling it in out of the sideboard because you probably already lost the first game. <laughs> you have the kind of deck that you're bringing sideswipe it to. Oh, come on. You know, so normally I wouldn't say we include a deck card that we know goes like 12th pick, but you know this goes 12th pick and you pick one up and sometimes it does something kind of cute that maybe generates a story. I think this thing gets there on story equity, Connor. I'm making you mad on this one. Because <laughs> this card makes me mad. It's just so, so, so specific. And I I feel like, yes, it could create some stories, but I think 90% of the time, it's a completely dead card and it just sits in your hand. Let's use the art as a tiebreaker. So how do you rate the art? So the art here is a magical lady swiping, interestingly to the left, like you said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. repelling some kind of vague blue magic. Presumably arcane. Pro- it looks looks arcane-ish. So I'm going to say composition-wise, this is probably like a C. But mm-hmm. I really like Ron Spears' brushwork here, and I like his col- use of color. I would give that aspect a B plus. So, um, so we have somewhere between a B and a B minus on the art, which is a meh. Boom! Just <laughs> a meh. You barely pass. <laughs> can I just have one of these, Connor, and we just see if it ever does anything? Can I have one meh sideswipe? Okay, swipe? you can. Yes, you can have one meh sideswipe. I will. I will leave it in if it comes up in the draft. I'm going to leave it in there so you can grab it. So I can so I can prove to everyone the power of sideswipe. So you can experience it and prove me right. This is also, can I just say another example of like there are just so many pretty unplayable cards in this set. Like in a in yeah. an actual set draft context, it's it's bizarre how many yeah. bad red cards there are. Yeah, pretty painful. Whew, okay, that got heated, Connor. I, I hope we can cool down together with uh, the bruiser. I think we can. I yeah. think we we can, you know, come to a good place on this one. So Kenzen Bruiser, 4R for a 3-3 Ogre Warrior with Mountain Walk. This is maybe the easiest Instacut we've had so far because I just have nothing to say about this. <laughs> the whole the whole block or the whole set? Of, of, of red, at least. Like, we, we can do better than this, right? I don't, yeah. I don't care if, you know, 5-mana, 3-3 Mountain Walk is, like, okay on rate or could be relevant if your opponent happens to be in red like there's just nothing interesting about this card no there's really not yeah i'm with you it's one of those things of like yeah this might technically have have a place i'm sure it was a mediocre curve filler in actual set draft and i don't know who cares like five mana three three mountain walk that is as vanilla and dull as it gets there's just nothing about this card that is fun or interesting. Nothing to get excited about. I I will say though that the flavor text is a bit interesting and fun. It says we camped near the Sokenzin Mountains. Though I know its inhabitants are sparse, I hear cries coming from the highest peaks every night, as if the mountains themselves bellow for vengeance. Lost Battalion message to General Takeno. And this is actually one of three Lost Battalion themed flavor texts in this set in red. So it's sort of a, a series of letters from this 
now lost battalion that's, you know, wandering through the Sokenzen mountains, probably trying to get back to Eganjo or something. Uh, and they're writing these letters, getting increasingly desperate for help. Uh, actually, I missed the first one. It was on Orgorger. I think we just got carried away with all of our discussion of the actual card, but I'll go ahead and read the Orgorger flavor text. Yeah. This one says, we've stumbled upon a network of caves not on our maps. We can only hope it is safe to spend the night. Lost Battalion message to General Takano. Do you just want? Do we just want to read the last one here? The Unearthly Blizzard? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's jump straight to that one. So Unearthly Blizzard's flavor text, we'll get to this actual card in a bit, but this one says, We are trapped. The mountains and blinding commie storms have made us hopelessly lost. We are starving. In the name of all things sacred, please send help. Lost Battalion, final message to General Takano. So that's kind of a cool thing. That's pretty good. Uh, something slightly funny about that is it does make me question the competence of the Lost Battalion because these are three of the weaker red cards in the set. <laughs> a little bit. I was, <laughs> I was thinking as I read the Orgorger one, which says, like, we can only hope it is safe to spend the night. My first thought was, yeah, it probably is safe. <laughs> like, I think you'll be yeah, fine. Unless you're, unless you're non-basic lands, you're totally safe. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll be good. Like, even your um, devoted retainer can handle this. Uh, one more thought on this before we move on is I don't really like land walk abilities. I've already come out and said i don't really like fear i don't like any of these abilities that sort of randomly screw a color uh and i actually yeah. like land walk even less than fear because like fear at least gives some more out you know like you can if you have black creatures you can block if you have artifact creatures you can block whereas land walk is just if you're running the wrong type of land that's it you can't do anything you have zero agency happily it's pretty easy to avoid land walk in this set there's only three-ish creatures in the whole block that have it discounting ayumi who has a special non-basic landwalk, which I'm more tolerant of. But anyway, I'm happy to be able to cut a landwalk creature because I don't like it. And this this one's very easy to cut. Yeah. It's in a way it's almost more frustrating than fear, at least oh absolutely you know, being the player that has it because you know sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Fear you can kind of draft the card thinking, all right, there's a pretty decent chance that I'll be able to, you know, get an advantage out of this. Mountain walk especially, you know, he's basically going to be a five mana three three because your opponent probably doesn't have mountains. Because you're in red. <laughs> yeah. If if they don't have mountains, you're sad. If they do have mountains, they're sad. And there's no real play around to it. Yeah. Well, and it's, inter it's a good point because it's actually the opposite dynamic of fear. Like fear yeah. by moving into black and monopolizing black, you're discouraging your opponents from running black. So your fear gets better. But by monopolizing red, so Ken's and Bruiser gets worse because <laughs> because he has mountain <laughs> wall. Like, uh, yeah, what an yeah. awkward card. Yeah, I guess there's there's sort of that extra dynamic to it. And all right, let's talk about Soul of Magma, which you know, even without saying it like that, kind of sounds like a legendary creature. But anyway, Soul of Magma is three RR for a two two spirit. Ooh. Whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, Soul of Magma deals one damage to target creature. Oh man, um, yeah, we've been talking about the f the five mana. Creatures in red. This is another one that is pretty disappointing. So the contrast with Kumano here is particularly brutal, right? There's always like a delta in power between commons and rares, but the delta in Kamigawa is sometimes totally insane, right? Uh, Soul of Magma is five mana to occasionally deal one damage when you work for it with a body that's half the size. Yeah. And then Kumano is five mana to have this big, huge, uh, powerful, beefy body. And then to be able to deal like two to three damage every single turn with no additional cards. Like it's just... Just to contrast him with another rare, Kiki Jiki is also a five mana 2-2. Two, two. Hmm. 
But Kiki Jiki is impactful and interesting yeah. and can actually do something for you pretty much every turn. Soul of Magma, like even when even when you trigger the spirit craft effect, it, it may actually just do nothing if there's no, you know, one toughness creatures or if this one damage to target creature doesn't do anything for you. Because you can't you can't even send that at your opponent's face if if they have bigger creatures. I know why. It's a two-two for five. Let it hit the dome. <laughs> yeah. A double designated two-two for five. You know, weirdly, I have kind of a soft spot for this thing just because, I, I don't know, it just seems kind of fun to have this overpriced spirit craft thing. But I think the problem is my favorite, and I think probably the best red spirit craft creature in this set, at least, is Earthshaker. And this, this plays terribly with Earthshaker because, like, they want to play together, but Earthshaker just can't help killing his buddy. It's like oh, it's like no. a superhero origin story, you know? That's so sad. I mean, the... The art on this card also kind of makes me sad somehow. Like he, he just looks like kind of a a sad melting snowman made of magma. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. He's like basically a pile of lava with sort of four magma hands coming out of it. So he kind of has like a big frown. His eyes look a little derpy and and weird. He just looks sad. See, I don't mind that because you know what he looks like to me, Connor, is he looks like that lava boss in Kirby and the Crystal Shards. That is a deep cut. That's a deep cut, but doesn't he? He does. He kind of looks like that mixed with a character from Monsters Incorporated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, this is an insta-cut though, right? <laughs> this is an insta-cut. Yeah, I think so. All right. Next up, we've got Soul Blast. Interesting one. Three RRR for an instant. As an additional cost to play Soul Blast, sacrifice all creatures you control. Whew. Soul Blast deals damage to target creature or player equal to the total power of the sacrificed creatures. So I'm pretty intrigued by this card. It's obviously a very heavy mana commitment, especially the three red mana. It's definitely not going to help you like bounce back in a game that you're already losing, but I feel like red needs kind of all of the game-ending potential that it can get, and Soul Blast definitely has that. And it's an instant. Yeah, it's, it kind of lets you play to a totally different game plan in a way. Yeah. Well, two different game plans. So one is like, I think this actually does kind of make help you bounce back in the sense that if you've been the aggressive deck and then you've stalled out, like Soul Blast can pretty reliably, I, tap tap set on Reddit, this often hits for 10 plus, which sounds about right to me. Like I think once you've stalled out, if your opponent's below 10, like they're dead and they yeah. may not even know they're dead, but you know they are. You just need to hold on as long as you can and keep enough power on the board and you will eventually just knock them out in one shot. Yeah. The the game ending potential is is definitely there. What I meant about like bouncing back is, you know, it's if you're behind on the board, like Soul Blast is not not going to help you out of that which you might kind of hope for from a 6 mana instant, but I I definitely think it is going to close out some games. And in in a fun and interesting way, like right like you were saying it gives you sort of this different game plan where you're not necessarily thinking about how you're going to swing in with your creatures. You're trying to figure out how to you know, keep them around to just sacrifice them. Yeah, I think even if you're losing in a weird way, it's it's nice because it gives you a different kind of out you can play to. You know, you don't have to shift board parity. You just have to like hold on long enough and hold on to enough creatures and you can eventually, you know, potentially just close the door out of nowhere. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of like cards that do this break the stalemate in a dramatic way thing in the set. We've got like Devouring Greed, we've got Devouring Rage, we've got Strength of Cedars coming up later, we've got this. And I suspect that's actually intentional on Wizards' part, because there's also a lot of ways this format could stall out. 
Yeah, that's that's a good point. And uh, now that you're listing them out, a lot of them kind of rely on giving up everything you have to yeah, in this, this last-ditch effort, which is pretty fun. This would be a painful card to have countered, though. I was thinking about that, but I also think, like, realistically, probably it doesn't get countered. Because I think you're just, you're never casting this into counter magic, right? Like, if your opponent has blue mana up, you're not casting this, and you're just waiting for them to tap out or something. I guess that could put you in a weird state where you're both kind of stalling and you're not playing your soul blast and they're not playing things to leave counter magic up. And you're probably losing at that point because they can cast other things. Huh. But I, I still, uh, the counter magic in this set is pretty terrible too. Yeah. There's not a lot of great counter options out there, except our sore Tommy Savant. That's right. Yeah. The other thing, I feel like this card looks worse than it is, you know, like, cause I feel like the counter magic thing's an example of it doesn't look it. That sounds bad, but I think a lot of times it's not going to matter or like the casting cost, like RRR is terrible and hard to cast, but then you're probably not casting this on six anyway. This is more like a turn nine, turn 10 play, at which point hopefully you have your three red. Yeah. This is also an instant, which is fascinating. I wouldn't really even notice if it was a sorcery versus an instant. Yeah, it's interesting with damage on the stack, right? I mean, I know we keep saying it, but but A, I feel clever every time I say damage on the stack, which mm-hmm. is the reason that rule existed. But B, I don't know, like you do an alpha strike, you connect with like four thi- like four power of creatures, the rest get blocked, and then you sack the whole thing for the win. Like I think the instant part is actually kind of relevant. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I, I was sort of thinking of it in terms of that stalemate where no one's doing anything and then you suddenly soul blast. But yeah, you could use this to get damage on top of your unblocked creatures. Right. Like, let's say, I don't know, let's say to make it easy, you've got six bears and your opponent has five. You swing in with your six bears, they block five. One goes unblocked, that's essentially two more damage. Then you dome them for 12. You know, like that's, that's a pretty big game. Yeah. I'm very surprised. This got one reprint in 10th edition. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't gotten printed more. This seems like something that would appear in a commander deck or... Just somewhere yeah, or other. The, the 10th edition reprints seem pretty random, but this would be a fun one to see again. Yeah, I think in 10E, they were like, we're going to print some Kamigawa cards and Corsats, like before they realized cor- how unpopular it <laughs> yeah. was. Like, didn't Council of the Soritami get printed like once or twice in Corsats? It did. Yeah, that's a very strange one. So flavor specific. Soul Blast could be in anything, even with this art. Yeah, that's true. All right, playable 1X. I think is right. Yeah, that that seems right. I, I definitely don't think you want more than one of these. That seems like it dilutes it. All right, next up, we've got Stone Rain, an all-time classic dating all the way back to Alpha. Stone Rain is two and a red for a sorcery. Destroy target land. That's it. That's the whole card. Uh, we've been talking a lot about land destruction this episode, uh, both because there's a surprising amount of it to modernize uh, and because I love land destruction. And I, I want to make a land destruction archetype work. I'm not sure if it's quite there. Uh, like Stone Rain itself, Tap Tap said on Reddit like that this card is polarizing because you get color screwed a lot and you also flood out a lot. And that definitely resonated for me having played uh, some test games. Uh, and I suspect this card is actually pretty medium, but I've got a soft spot for it, uh, both because it's iconic and because uh, land destruction is a, this is kind of the last hurrah of land destruction in Magic, and I'd like to honor that. Yeah, a little bit. I, I think I want to include this just to see, if, like to test whether that kind of land destruction is too oppressive, especially Stone Rain compared to some of the other uh, land getting rid of cards that we've seen so far that actually put some condition on it, either you know, a 10 mana myogen <laughs> that you have to save up for or an ore gorger that can only target non-basic lands. When you trigger a spirit craft, stone rain is just destroy any land uh, for three mana with like no no setup required. So I, I mean, I, I'd like to 
see it in. I, I feel like we can push a bit of a land destruction archetype and just see kind of where that gets us. And if it's too much. I almost wish, as much as I love that this is an iconic card going back to Alpha, and I want to talk about art in a second um, on that note, but as much as I love that, I kind of wish they'd gone with a functional reprint with Arcane, to be honest with you. It just feels like it wouldn't have really boosted the power that much, but it would have made the card a lot more interesting and uh, given it more space to play in the set. And it would have fit the Kami flavor well, too. Yeah, I do wonder why they didn't want to do that if it was just they wanted to get one last reprint of stone rain in or maybe they just didn't want that many stone rain effects floating around you know an extended or even i don't know if stone rain was in the core i feel like this was the still the era when they put stone rain in every core set uh, even though players hated it well new players you know actually now that i'm looking at the flavor text it says right away the kami struck with gouts of fire showers of rock and the combined rage of the spirit world they just forgot to make it yeah. arcane yeah it totally feels like there should be an arcane version of this yeah, the Kami dropped the ball on that. Speaking of the uh, the history of this card, so Stone Rain has managed to get 13 unique arts over the years. And I oh. just want to say, I think this is one of the best ones it's gotten. And part of that is because many of them are really bad. Like Alpha, the original one, in my view, is bad. Seventh edition is bad. Mask Block is bad. The Portal Three Kingdoms one, Mirage. Like there's, there's a lot of, arguably, the Kaya Folgio one, Foglio one, and Ice Age. There's a lot of bad arts, but I think this one is maybe in the top two for me, along two or three, along with the fifth edition one and the really cool Strixhaven Mystical Archive one that's uh, very kind of abstract and storybook. Yeah, that one is beautiful, that Strixhaven one. Yeah, which one? The the English one or the Japanese one? Ironic, in this case, I think I like the English one more. The Japanese one, I don't really see the land destruction going on. Yeah, it sort of looks like uh, some kind of demon with some rain behind him but and a boar there's a lot going on for sure there is a lot none of it really looks like a land just being destroyed oh yeah it, it took me a second to see the he's, boar in he's there. subtle he's a hidden boar it's hidden boar do you agree that this uh this one is one of the best normal stone rain arts though yeah uh should we talk about the worst what's the worst uh, one? Though? it's a competitive category isn't it it is so I listed a bunch that I think are really bad. What for you is the worst of the worst? And we'll link we'll link a, a Scryfall search for all of these in the show notes, by the way, so you can follow along. The, the alpha one really does hurt to look <laughs> it's, at. It's just ugly. It's just unpleasant. It is so so every every part of it is unpleasant. This guy's proportions, the the face he's making, the the pose that he's in, the fact that it's stone rain, but it's creatures that are suffering. Yeah, there is a powerful sense of suffering in this art, so it does convey that, at least. Yeah, I kind of like the Kaya Foglia one from... Uh, yeah, it's divisive. Ice Age. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling to that To get one. a neutral opinion on this, I showed all of these to my wife the other night and asked her to judge, and frankly, she wasn't that interested in judging, but she did say, that one's just silly, which uh, it's hard <laughs> to argue with. It, it is hard. I can't, I can't dispute that. So what do you think of this 5th edition one... You know, this whiteboarded one that's just like a castle getting completely engulfed in really kind of saturated Crayola red meteorites. Like, what do you think? I like that one a lot. It's it's fine. I'm not really feeling it too much. Yeah, it's it's it makes me think like stone avalanche. Yeah, there's not a lot of these that really convey to me the sense of like some of these look like more like a minor problem. You know, like I'm looking at the masks one. And the Portal Three Kingdoms <laughs> yeah. one, and both those are kind of like, yeah, that looks like a bad situation, but they don't really look devastating. Well, the Three Kingdoms one, again, it's the the creatures yeah, that are absolutely taking the brunt of the 
the pain here. Where's the land? And there's not even the excuse for Alpha, right? Of like, none of the Alpha artists really knew what was going on in the game. But by like Portal 3 Kingdoms, they knew what the art direction should be on this. They've had some time to figure this Uh, out. You know, I think the secret worst one for me is Mirage because it's just so utterly dull. Like, there's no sense of motion. There's no sense of a land about to be destroyed. It's just, it just looks like some rocks floating in the air. It's literally the stone, raining stone. Yeah. Yeah, that one's pretty bad. Um, I I think I'm going to go with the Portal Three Kingdoms really? one. Really? That's the worst of the worst for you? Yeah, it just, it looks like, it looks like a really generic panel from a really generic comic book. <laughs> yeah. Of some f- secondary characters. This is, these are, these characters are here to show how the bad guys are meanies killing these guys. Yeah. They, I mean, they don't, they don't have any names. They, they're just going through this pass and then, uh. The stones are coming down. Like the only connection here between the card and the art is the word stone. Even the even the flavor text is as a sort of pervading blandness to it. Soldiers often blocked off the steep mountain passes to ambush enemy troops in western and central China. Like that just sounds like it's from a history book. It, it does. I think I think that the the western and central <laughs> that really especially. takes the energy <laughs> out of it. <laughs> it does. So geographical like, in these specific regions of China. For anyone who's wondering why China's in there, there was a set, actually a couple of portal sets that were specifically marketed for the Chinese market and that take place just in real world China. Yeah. Uh, including Western and Central China. <laughs> yeah, including the iconic areas of Western and Central China where sometimes steep mountain pla- passes got uh, blocked by soldiers. So what do we think of this stone rain? Oh, right. right. We can talk about ratings, don't we? <laughs> I mean, at some point. Weirdly, I have this as a meh, even though I like Stone Rain. I, I'm kind of with TapTap here. I feel like this is going to um, this is going to be quite polarizing. And a lot of times it's it's not going to do as much as you'd hope. Um, so I have it as, at a sort of strange rating of meh, but a 3x meh. Because I, I feel like you need a density to this effect for it to really work. It's, it's an interesting idea. I had it at playable because I think it on power level is playable. But I, I get where you and TapTap are going with the oppressiveness and the divisiveness of this card see i don't see it as oppressive i see it as more like insufficiently oppressive to rise above math really yeah because it's like i don't know how many of these games do you just end up with like eight lands like i feel like in a lot of cases losing a land just isn't gonna matter well i'm i'm more thinking of you know a game where you where stone rain comes out on turn three and opponent is mana screwed they they are looking for that one mountain or that one forest that they need they get it you stone rain it and they, you know, have four cards in their hand that they just can't play. Now. I hear all that. I just I'm struggling to picture scenarios where you'd rather have like Stone Rain than I don't know, like Blind with Anger or let alone let alone Glacial Ray or something. I just feel like this is going to often disappoint. All right, you might be right on the med then. What about quantity? Three copies. Yeah, let's try three and see if it just ends up totally irritating. Let's go with that. All right, next up, a weird one. Strange Inversion, 2R for an instant arcane. Switch target creature's power and toughness until end of turn. And you can splice onto arcane for 1R. I have never given any thought to this card until basically this moment. (laughs) Like, I knew that this card existed. It wasn't one of those cards that I looked at and just had no idea it had ever been printed. Like, I knew this was out there. I just hadn't given any thought to it because I... I just do not care. I cannot care about this this card. It's the effect is really boring to me. Uh that it's just 
picking one creature and switching their power and toughness until end of turn, like that's an effect that appears kind of throughout magic in some interesting ways, some not interesting ways. And I think this is definitely a not interesting way, just an instant that does that and nothing but that. Uh, and it costs a lot to do it. I feel like this could pretty easily have cost one R with no ill effect. Yeah. Yeah, I decided to go try to figure out how many creatures in some way get meaningfully affected by this, by which I mean their power and toughness are not, you know, identical. So from what I could tell, there are very roughly 70 creatures whose power is greater than their toughness. And I say very roughly here because flip cards screw up Scryfall searches for this. So there's 70 creatures with more power than toughness and about 73 with more toughness than power. So that means like very roughly 43% or call it 40% of the creatures in the block are affected by this. But I think that's even that's not that high a percentage, frankly. But even that, I think this kind of oversells the relevance of that because for every like Kami of Ancient Stone, you know, the one seven in white or like Scuttling Death, the four two in black, there's a ton of those that are just like Venerable Kumo, you know, a two three, Order of the Sacred Bell, a four three. And in those cases, this like, this doesn't even matter. And as you're saying, it's also kind of boring. I give this a meh just because I was like, eh, it's it's moderately unique, but it's really hard to love this card for me. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like Sideswipe for me where, you know, you, c- you can easily conjure up the situation in your mind where this card could matter and kind of help you out and maybe be a little bit interesting. But the chances of that situation coming up, uh, I, I feel like it's too much of an edge case. Like here, you know, with, with Sideswipe, you're waiting for the arcane spell that actually targets something and that you want to Sideswipe. With this, you're waiting not just for the creature that has power toughness you can switch in any meaningful way. You're also having to wait for the situation where you actually want to do the switching, either to trade with something or to do some blocking shenanigans or get in for seven damage with your Kami of Ancient Stone. And until you get that situation, Strange Inversion is just sitting there in your hand. So what do you have that at? I'm guessing you're at Instacut based on the, the the tenor of your remarks. Yeah, this is an Instacut. Yeah, I added a meh 1x, but honestly, I'm, I'm fine going to Instacut. I don't really feel a need as you're saying everything yeah. about this card again. Not a card that I'm going to miss. There is a card in Betrayers, uh, a legendary kami called Manichi the Fevered Dream. And Manichi does this effect to all creatures as an activated ability for 1R. Uh, And that's at least kind of maybe a little bit more interesting, a little bit fun, kind of makes you think about what you could do with that. I mean, at least it's on a creature. This is just a dead card. I actually like this more than Minichi. I always look at Minichi and I go, how would I build a deck around that? But anyway, we can can have that conversation when we get to Minichi. Yeah, well, we'll get there. We can start by insta-cutting this thing. All right, let's go to a, a, a truly iconic card, Through the Breach, 4R for an instant arcane. Put a creature from your hand into play. That creature has haste. Sacrifice that creature at end of turn. And you could splice it onto Arcane for 2RR. All right, so this card, uh, as I said, is iconic. It's seen extensive play in Eternal formats. Uh, While it doesn't have much presence in EDH, surprisingly, just 600 decks, it's a cube all-star. It appears in 6,000 cubes, which is like 10.66% of all cubes on Cube Cobra. Typically, it's cheating something like an Eldrazi or something large into play, or that association is so strong that this was uh, eventually reprinted with Emrakul in the art in one of the master sets. Uh, so that that's the like bull case for Through the Breach. I got to admit, I'm a little bit of a bear on it because I feel like its playability depends a lot on how many big creatures hang around. 
And because mm-hmm. we've been cutting the Myogen, who, by the way, don't benefit from this, sadly, because they have to be cast, uh, and many of the other expensive cards, like, does this actually get you a good deal? Like, I think I'm only excited to go through the Breach when I'm putting into play, say, a seven-plus mana creature. That leaves us with, like, 18 to 20 creatures in total that, where this might be worth using. So I counted the number of creatures that cost six or more. I guess I'm, be- I'm a- being a little bit more generous to through the breach. So I figured it costs five mana. If you're cheating something out for six, then at least you're getting, you know, one mana out of that. There are 57 creatures in the block that cost six or more. And this does some kind of fun stuff with a decent number of them. Like you can use this to cheat a dragon out, maybe a dragon of a different color. That's interesting, yeah. And get in for, you know, five damage with haste and flying, and then they die. And of course you get the death trigger too. So that's kind of a fun effect, but you're only up one mana from that and down a card and down a card unless you splice but you're, then you're down the other card <laughs> splice it on a lava spike there's some fun things that could come up you know there's there's no eldrazi in this set that you're trying to get through the breach no that's the thing the closest thing are the myogen you know in terms of being big expensive like bombs but but they don't benefit from it is there like a soul shift play here that i'm missing where this is really about like uh getting what's that seven mana thing that soul shifts for six you know getting that thing into play just to get some instant soul shift value is that really what this card is here to do yeah i mean maybe that but that also is asking for a lot of a lot of setup and a lot of other cards you got to get that seven mana thing you have to have something worth soul shifting in your graveyard already i think it's tricky it's like a support card that doesn't have enough things to support yeah and the other problem with that is you know so in in a typical cube environment this is appearing alongside other cheaty cards, right? This shows up with like Sneak Attack and Oath of Druids and Show and Tell and, you know, a bunch of different ways to to cheat something into play. But in our cube, as far as I can think, this is the only thing that does that. And so I don't, you know, I, I don't see how you can like build a five color kind of cheaty Cheaty put, cheaty put, cheaty put things into play. That's that's doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> I think that's what yeah, that's what the archetype's called. I don't know how you can build a five color cheaty put things into play deck here because like you're entirely dependent on through the breach. And even if we decided to go like ham and put in two or three of them, like that still wouldn't really guarantee enough. Like one of these plus a bunch of off color dragons does not sound like a recipe for success. No, I mean the dragon parts maybe that does sound kind of fun though. I think if we did have two or three of them, you know, what's going to happen the majority of the time is you'll have through the breach into your hand. You'll have some card that costs like three or four, and you're going to try to find some reason to to put that creature through the breach because you either don't have anything big enough for it or you can't afford to wait to draw 10 more cards to get to a yeah, dragon. There's just so much that has to go right, which really hurts because this card is is one of the most famous from the whole block. But I, I kind of feel like in inside its own block, it's left out in the cold a little bit. Yeah. Are we mm. are we edging towards an insta-cut here? I guess so. So I had this I had this as a build around with just one copy because I feel like its viability really just depends on how many big creatures we end up having. You know, like you pointed out, we're we're cutting a lot of the myogen. I think we have like Kuro Pitlord in for now, but who knows how long that's going to last. I, I just don't know how many big enough creatures we're going to have that through the breach is really worth it. It's a more interesting and iconic card to try than a lot of the other ones we've seen in red. I, I can't argue with that. Uh, I'm fine trying it. I'm not sure one is going to be enough. I feel like we'd want two. 
hmm, just to to maximize the chance that you'll come across it. If you have one of them in your deck, like you'd have to find it. Like, I mean, so what? You could like arcane procession for this, but that doesn't really seem that good. There's just not a lot of resources to help you find this card. And like to, for this to be good, you have to have this card and a creature and potentially something to splice onto so that you're actually getting meaningful value out of it. Like, it's just so much that has to go right. But then even with the splicing, you know, like the only reason you would splice is if you have another creature that you want to do this to. Yeah. Yeah, just getting one is kind of a big ask. Ugh. Maybe we're hmm. edging back towards Instacut here. Yeah, this is this is tough. Yeah, it's it's such a cool card. It's just really hard to see where it fits in. Well, I see two paths here, Connor. I think we could go with our heads and insta-cut it, or we could go with our hearts and give it like a one to two build around and see if it can make the grade later on. I feel like we usually go with our hearts on this show. This is really a, a heart-oriented podcast. I love it. I agree. This is a heart, this is a show for people with hearts. If you don't have a heart, yes. tune out. Tune out now. Turn it off. Okay, one or two copies, Connor. I guess I guess two. Okay. All right. Here we go. Two copies through the breach. Love it. Next up we've got Tide of War. Four RR for an enchantment. Whenever one or more creatures blocks, flip a coin. If you win the flip, the defending player sacrifices all blocking creatures. Otherwise, the attacking player sacrifices the blocked creatures. That's not the Oracle text. I don't have the Oracle text up, but it's a bit different from that because this card is kind of confusing. Basically, whenever blocking happens, you flip a coin and you call it. If you win, all blocking creatures die. Hold on. Is that right? Am I, am I even understanding I mean, the right? win-lose doesn't matter here. Basically, a coin gets flipped and either all the blocking creatures die or all the attacking... Or the blocked creatures All the die. blocked yes. creatures all die, the, yes. Yes, all of the blocked attacking creatures die, but not the ones that aren't blocked. Right, yes. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, that, that was more energy than I wanted to spend on this card. Yeah, I was just going to say that same thing. I do not want a six-mana coin flip. This this might be... I think this is very close to being my least favorite card in the entire block. I hate it more than Shimatsu. I hate it more than all the cards and saviors that we're going to have to talk about coming up later. Like To me, this card is just so boring in what it's trying to do. Like It doesn't seem like it creates fun, interesting situations. Um, I don't know why you would spend six mana to randomly screw yourself or screw your opponent like it doesn't even to me have the kind of warp worlds fun trolley effect it's just it's just not that interesting it just doesn't do interesting things to the game like does this drive interesting decisions during the game does this lead you your opponent to play differently i don't think so yeah i I feel like the only people who could really love this card are like the avatars of red who just embrace chaos and just want, they want to have a card because it'll be random. Yeah, but those people don't speak for red, Connor. Those people try to pretend that all of us red mages are chaotic, silly folk, but we're not. We have brains. We can recognize the Tide of War as a bad card. Although apparently Mm -hmm. the 1,219 Mm -hmm. people who put this in their EDH rec decks don't feel that way. Hmm. Now, what do you think's going uh, on there? Let's go look. I think it looks like it's basically played with two types of cards. It's played with the coin flippy pair of Zender Split and Okown, who are coin flip commanders, along with Yusri, Fortune's Love Flame, it. also a coin flippy commander, and Rakdos, the showstopper, coin flippy commander. And then I think it's also played with Nora and the Wary occasionally for memes. So I think it's basically meme troll decks. It yeah. is a meme card. You know, actually, if if you were in a, a commander game with four players, 
you know, tide of war triggers whether or not you are involved in the attack. Yeah, so it's totally a troll card. Yeah, if you're player A and player B attacks player C, tide of war still triggers. You're either wiping all of player B's creatures or all of player C's creatures. So Okay, you're actually on to something there. Maybe I'm wrong for Commander. This actually seems kind of insidious and almost good. Oh, that's kind of fun to think about. Yeah, I mean, I think the actual effect wouldn't be very fun because like Commander's already a format where people don't attack enough and I think this would dissuade attacking further. Yeah. But yeah, it's at least interesting to think about. But in our cube, not so much. I think the only interesting thing about this card for our purposes is that its rating on Gatherer is exactly 2.500. <laughs> what? Which, as, as someone out pointed five? out, feels just perfect what? out of five, which is just perfect for a coin flip card. That's amazing. Wow. Stick that one in your back pocket for Gatherer Trivia Night. Yeah, that's some good stuff. All right, but this is an Instaca, right? Yeah, do not stick this card in your back pocket or the cube or anywhere else. Let's talk about Uncontrollable Anger. 2RR for an enchantment aura, enchant creature, flash. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and attacks each turn if able. Uh, So this card, I think, probably plays better than it looks. Uh, it's not quite Indomitable Will, which I think the more I've thought about Indomitable Will, that's, as a reminder, the white version of this that gives plus one, plus two, um, and doesn't have the attack each turn fable thing. The more I think about that card, the more I think it's good. Plus two, plus two is pretty good. It's pretty big game. Like, you put this on a Nizumi Cutthroat or a Nizumi Ronin, you're smashing in for a lot of damage. Uh, and I suspect uh, this does more than it looks like. Well, kind of being boring, but I think it's pretty good. Good, but boring. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt about it it's i mean my first thought was just boring does cost one more than indomitable will you get one more power but you get that drawback of having to attack each turn so maybe you get one you know cheese block in and then you're swinging in every turn after that i do love the art though it's got this jumping aki holding a giant club uh over its shoulder sort of engulfed in this red aura so very literal take on auras, even though that wasn't printed on the card. I do display. like his club. It's literally bigger than he is. Yeah, it's it's massive. And it, it, it looks like it's made entirely out of stone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, good on him for being able to lift that. He's also drooling. He's like, he's like sl- oh, yeah. slavering or slobbering with rage. Yeah, he's mad. The flavor text on this bums me out, though. It says, to an Aki warrior, gravity is the direction of the nearest unsmashed face what's wrong with that that's totally fine but what it is totally fine and that's what bothers me it's like the most stereotypical magic the gathering goblin flavor text imaginable like that could be that could be on any goblin oriented card and the aki are supposed to be kind of you know weird and and unique you know they look they sort of look like turtles they make poems they you know they're supposed to be a little bit strange and different than just the Typical goblin. And the whole point of this card is that he's enchanted. You know, he's not normally this angry. He's been made angry. Yeah, and the flavor text is like implying that this his that anger is his default. Huh, do you think Wizards just has like a shoebox full of goblin flavor text they pull out and they just Yeah. <laughs> it does with this one. Yeah, and that's why it bums me out. It's we've seen actually a pretty decent number of cards in our episodes so far that just have you know, really boring, bland flavor text. And this is one of them. So what do you rate this? I have this as a 2x playable, which might be a little high, both on numbers and on rating. But I genuinely think this thing is going to play better than it looks and, and close out some games. 
Yeah, I think you're probably right. I have it at one copy at meh, but I think that's mostly just because I'm so unexcited by it. I know it reads unexciting, but I feel like in a weird way, this card is kind of interesting because it's going to do things and lead to board states that no other card in the cube will. Hmm. Expand on that. Uh, let's see if I can. <laughs> what I, what I, what I mean <laughs> exactly. by that? Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, first, um, as I mentioned in previous episodes, I'm always a little extra willing to go to bat for Aras because they're generally bad. And so I feel like Aras need need the help. Uh, or we need we need to put extra effort in to ensure we're actually including any Aras at all. Two, I think like the way this turns like a, a two or three drop, like say, I don't know, KBM, Katsune Blademaster. The way this turns Katsune Blademaster from like a threat into a game dominating horror machine or turns something like Nizumi uh-huh. Cutthroat into like, okay, that goes from being an uncomfortable clock to like a worryingly fast clock. Like I think, I think this kind of transforms ordinary little two and three drop creatures into a force to be reckoned with in a way that I think will lead to some interesting situations. Okay. Okay. I can kind of see that. Yeah. Am I selling too hard? I don't I'm not sure I believe buy what I'm selling completely there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I just, I'm struggling to like feel anything about this. Yeah. Well, maybe once I smash your face in with it a few times, you'll find it more interesting. Yeah. And maybe I'll want more of it. Um, did, you, did you catch what I did there, Connor, with the, the smashed versus unsmashed face? Yeah, yeah, that was good. You want to compromise a 2x mez? Yeah, I think that is reasonable. All right. You come down to my mez, I'll go up to your 2x. Okay, next one's Unearthly <laughs> Blizzard. <laughs> There's a whole run of, of kind of mez cards in the middle. We're going to end on a, on a high note, I promise. Yeah, just bear with us as we're going through some mez cards and sounding a little mez, maybe. I'll... All these cards that begin with un, uncontrollable anger, unearthly blizzard, and unnatural speed are pretty pretty hard to get stoked about. Boy, it's a lesson there. Unearthly blizzard, 2R, sorcery arcane. Up to three target creatures can't block this turn. So this basically feels like the red Tarashi's cry. Uh, I, I feel like this is just crap, <laughs> but I mean, it could legitimately end the game for three mana. And it is arcane. Yeah, I find all these things hard to love. Like any anything like this that just doesn't have any lasting effect on the board is is hard to get excited about. Particularly in this set where red is not really the like aggro, go fast, shut down the game early kind of color. It's, you know, like I don't know if red can even take advantage of that. You know, I'm trailing off here because I'm about to say, and to me, it's like a meh. And I think we put one or two in as like a tolerable, mediocre 23rd card. In a weird way, Tarashi's Cry, which I think we cut, is probably better because I think white is better positioned to be aggressive than red is. Yeah, that's a good point. It does cost one more than Unearthly Blizzard. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there's just just another card I cannot get excited <laughs> about. But I guess with this, it's it's a little bit easier to, you know, imagine the board state where this just ends the game. You know, you've got some reasonably large creatures out. Your opponent does too. You're just kind of looking at each other, seeing who's going to attack first. Mm-hmm. You play Unearthly Blizzard. Yeah. They can't block with three of them, and you end the game. Yeah, I can picture that. If I think about it in quadrant theory, I mean, it's basically a sleep effect, and it has the problem those things often do of it's basically only good in the scenario you outlined. So that that's a strike against it. But I think, like, one of them is probably fine. I, I had this as a mad 2x, but honestly, that feels impossibly generous. Like, no deck wants two of these, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I also had as a, had it as two at meh, but I think one is probably as nice as we can be. All right, should we give it a meh 1x and just try to get out of this uh, 
unnaturally dull set of cards. Yeah, try to try to speed us out of it. All right, yeah, I slowed down there. All right, unnatural speed. R, instant arcane. Target creature gains haste until end of turn. I think this card is terrible and not worth a card. Um, this format isn't fast enough for haste to be that important or exciting. The red creatures aren't big enough. The creatures in general aren't that big. Um, I just don't think it's worth going down a card to cast this thing. Uh, and so I have it as an instacut. Um, but I think you are slightly higher on it than me. Okay, so I know that this is not a good card by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it might have some kind of place in the cube. Mm-hmm. First, it's arcane, and it only costs a single mana. So it feels like it's just there to be spliced onto. Yeah, like Glacial Ray becomes 2R shock plus haste, for example. Yeah. Yeah, for example. And I you know, it, it gives you the value of being able to splice instead of just playing the the card that has the splice option. You know what I mean? Like there there's value in splicing instead of playing that card. I do, but it also is begging the question of why this thing is not spliceable. Like if ever a card would be a safe splicing thing, I feel like splicing this at one R or something would be totally fair. But I mean I could I could also see some conversation uh in R and D where they're saying Wait, being being able to give every haste turn? every single turn? Oh, it's that's, that's too much. C- couldn't you picture that in this set? Yeah. So this might, okay, probably will just be a dead card in your hand a lot of the time. But unlike something like Strange Inversion, which is another arcane spell that doesn't do a whole lot, like this is very easy to get rid of or to use just for splicing. Yeah, but getting rid of isn't that, I mean, you're down a card, right? <laughs> that's what I keep coming back you to. You are, but like, it, okay, okay. Maybe not get rid of. It's it's easy to use this for maybe a smaller benefit than you were hoping to get out of it, but still something. Like you want to use this on Ryusei, but if you have to use it on Pain Kami, you know, that's still giving you some kind of... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just... Am I just crazy? I kind of think you're a little crazy because I'm just... I wanted to double check that I'm right, that nowadays when this thing gets printed, it's a lot better. And it is. So... In Morning Tide, we have Crimson Wisps. Uh, our target creature gains haste and becomes red until end of turn. Draw a card. Expedite in uh, a number of sets. Red, target creature gains haste. Draw a card. Fervent Strike in Dominaria. Our target creature gets plus one, plus oh, and gains first strike in haste. Samut Sprint. Our target creature gets plus two, plus one, and gains haste. Scry one. And then we have Unnatural Speed. Wow. Yeah, well, okay, Morning Tide's not that recent. That, that's what I'm saying. The whole spread of Magic's history. There's five of these effects, and this is the this is the only one that doesn't either get you a card, scry, or like tack on multiple other things. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think I think the reason I'm I gave this uh, a meh initially with two copies is that I'm just a little bit afraid of like a little extra afraid of cutting arcane spells because I worry that there's not going to be enough to splice onto i know i i share that fear and i think that's legit fear i'm not sure this is the way to play the card to solve that with but i'm fine if you want to throw like one or two of them in i'm i'm fine with that but i mean at the same time i don't want to be too generous to cards that just suck because like i'm this card does suck it sucks pretty I'm hard gonna deny that it sucks well, pretty while hard. you stew on that I, i'm looking at all the red one mana instants that give haste in the history of magic and there's eight. And I just want you to look at the art for Fever Charm from Onslaught, which I've never seen until now. And it's it's one it's one of the worst pieces of art I've ever seen. It's, oh, wow. It's like a red paperweight, like, suspended above a mountain. Like, it's inexplicable. Look how sh- 
tiny it is, though. Yeah, it's like a glass paperweight with lots of little, um, what would you call those, little glistening spots. Yeah. What do you call that? Shiny spots, sparkle shiny spots. spots. What are those? It's got a lot of shiny, a lot of sparkle spots on it. I know, right? It's like a highlight, but it's extra shiny. I, I don't know. I'm just not sure this thing is any good, honestly. The one thing that is good about it, I'll just keep stalling here to give you time to process the thought of maybe cutting this thing. Uh, the one thing that is good is I think the art here is awesome. It's like this kind of dragon boar or dragon bull creatures sort of skittering down a mountainside surrounded by like sparks of lightning and then flying around him are these disembodied lion heads um, that are roaring, I guess, to egg him on or something. I really like this art. Yeah, the art is a slam dunk for me. And it's a pity that it's on such a disappointing card. Yeah, if it just scried or just anything, plus one, plus oh, just something. Give us something here, wizards. Yeah. Maybe I need to start getting this thing in foil. That's got to be pretty inexpensive to pick up unnatural speeds in foil. I think that'll be pretty affordable. Uh, maybe that'll be a future listener incentive. Maybe we do just just cut it. Cut it. Yeah, I do think you're right. We might need to like up the arcane density somewhere or other in future. I, I think there's a distinct possibility of that. But even if we do, I'm not sure that starts with unnatural speed. Maybe the better way to go about that is to look back at the arcane spells that we do feel kind of good about and maybe bump up their numbers. If I were errating cards in the set, this would be near the top of my list because if this like scryed or gave plus one plus oh or had splice, if this had something going on, I think this would have been kind of a staple arcane enabler, honestly. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. I think you're the only one that cares enough about this card <laughs> to consider a right. Uh, yeah, I see more invested than you actually. All right. It's to cut. Yeah, let's just cut it. Boom, boom, gone. Coming up on letter Y here, and a far more interesting card, Yamabushi's Flame. 2R for an instant. Uh, it deals three damage to target creature or player, and if a creature dealt damage this way, would be would die this turn, exile it instead. So this is no lightning bolt. You know, it's not R to deal three damage, but like three mana for three straight damage that also exiles, like that is uh, more than enough in Kamigawa. Yeah, many uh, Kamigawa draft guides have this tied with Glacial Ray as the best red card in the set, uh, outside of maybe uh, Kumano. Uh, and I think that seems right. Uh, this might even... I don't know if it's better than Glacial Ray, but this thing um, this thing deals with a lot. It deals with about 78% of creatures in the block, which is uh, more than respectable. Uh, the Exile Clause, as you are saying, isn't just Trinket Text. That really matters. Um like this card and Glacial Ray are basically the reasons to be in red and put up with all the mediocrity. Yeah, I don't have a, a huge amount to say about this other than that it is really solid. And it, it, it's a little bit like um, some of Black's best removal in this set in that it just like it, it is a great piece of utility to always have available for red. That's an interesting comparison because I think I would almost rate this above Ren Flesh and Ren Spirit. Um, obviously those can kill bigger things, but I think the fact that this can go face the fact it has that exile clause, the fact it doesn't care about mortals versus spirits. Like, I think this might actually be among that S tier of three mana removal spells. This might even be better than Ren Flesh and Ren Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a Swiss army knife. Yeah. Plus it's got this cool, almost like street. I almost get like a street fighter vibe from the art here or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. He is. He's super ripped. This Yamabushi. Yeah, he's like Ken or something. He's like all muscle. This art is extremely red 
like <laughs> not not in terms of color identity, just like literally the color of the art is pretty much just red. It's a great point. It might be the reddest art I can think of off the top of my head. Like there literally are no colors in this that are not shade red or black or white. Yeah. Everything is red. A lot of dedication to that. So uh, just for a little bit of context, the Yamabushi, the shaman is holding, uh, it's, it's pretty close up on his face and his ripped chest. And mm-hmm. he's holding this flame in between his hands. Uh, and the flame is extremely red. So it's lighting the Yamabushi's face and his hands and every part of this art in this reddish glow. Well, not reddish. It's just, it's red. Just red. I think it works though. Yeah. A little spooky. Yeah. A little spooky. It's definitely intense. Uh, where do you rate this? I rate this as an auto include. And I said three of them. It's a little hard to know the exact quantity, but uh, three seemed like a good arbitrary starting point. Yeah. I said playable two X at first. And then I was thinking about it later and I realized like this is, the kind of card that I think we want to push a little bit to give more of a reason to be in red. So I think three or maybe even four. Yeah, I think four eh, might be too much. Three somehow seems more right. I'm not sure why. Right. Probably because it costs three mana and deals That's three damage. It. Yeah, it's got to be it. Uh, what about rating? Are you auto-include? Are you playable? Um, I said playable, but mm, yeah, auto-include's probably right here. Yeah, I know we usually use auto include for the really cool cards, and this isn't this isn't exactly cool, but it's just super hard for me to see this ever getting cut. Yeah, and it is, you know, it does have a little bit of of history as being considered one of the strongest cards in in red, so we gotta honor that a little bit. That's true. Okay. Auto include three X. Yeah, I like it. Let's go to our last Yamabushi card, Yamabushi's Storm. One R for sorcery. Yamabushi's Storm deals one damage to each creature. If a creature dealt damage this way would die this turn, exile it instead. This card I think is probably okay-ish. It kills about 100 creatures, which, uh, you know, that's not too shabby. Um, That's a little under a third of the uh, creatures in the block. It's hard to avoid comparing this to Pyroclasm, right? Which uh, does cost this and deals two damage instead of one. And it's also hard to ignore the fact that, like, in red, your creatures are bad, and so I feel like you're almost disproportionately affected by this thing. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the real fit here is, like, that creature light red Earthshaker deck we keep, like, starting to concoct in our mind. Yeah, I think so. This this fits perfectly into that Earthshaker, maybe Ryusei, maybe Soul of Magma, except we cut that deck. <laughs> you know, I, I like the idea of having this more mid-rangey red deck with some fairly large creatures that can you know that don't care about a yamabushi storm and can live through it and just wiping out all of the soratami and nazumi with their one toughness unfortunately most of the aki but you probably don't have them in this deck anyway and there are enough you know x1s in kanagawa like 97 of them to make a card like this worth picking up even if you're not in that Earthshaker kind of deck you got to hand it to wizards they they did a good job in this tuning power just low enough that you go ah, i guess it could be included <laughs> yeah uh, i was just curious yeah so there's 97 x ones as you said and 20 of them are red so exact basically exactly a fifth so you're not i thought you might be disproportionately affected in red but you're not you're uh you're just as you're in as much trouble as every yeah. other color except you're exactly green. proportionately affected yeah and i also i think a disproportionate number of those x1s are spirits and so that's where the exile really gets relevant yeah yeah spirits and as you say uh moon folk this really uh just dunks on the moon folk 
Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it also dunks on Ben Ben, Aki Lava Runner, and mm-hmm. Aki Underminer are three four mana one ones <laughs> from last episode. Well, we got basically all those, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they won't have to worry about the storm because they're not at this party. But oh. a little, it's a little sad to think about <laughs> just how easily they go down. I see your note wishing this was arcane, and this is another one of these where it's like, I know there's flavor reasons it's not, but this would play so much better if it were an arcane spell. It would. Imagine playing this with your Earthshaker out and triggering the Earthshaker off of this. It's just could have been so much more fun. Yeah, that's where you do wish they'd been a little less enthralled to the flavor mechanical tie-ups here and just said... Okay, let's just not make it Yambabushi related. Let's make it an arcane storm. And it would have been that would have been fine. No one would have no one would have mourned the fact that it wasn't didn't didn't name check the Yambabushi. Yeah. It is it is kind of a cool thing though that this this effect of exiling creatures pretty much appears on every single red shaman themed card. We've got the Yamabushi Storm and Flame, Kumano, Frostwielder. Kumano's pupils, they all share this effect. So that is kind of a cool thing, tying them all together and pushing a little bit of that flavor. Not that it's all that interesting. Do you think they should keyword that as the Yamabu- as Yamabushi? Like any in future, any card that exiles things that are about to die would uh, would just say Yamabushi on it instead? It just says Yamabushi? Yeah, it would just say Yamabushi in the text box with no reminder text. I'm into that. It's a little bit like putting the, the Japanese names under... <laughs> Yeah, under each card name, it would it would help people's literacy with um, this block, and therefore help them understand our cube more intuitively. Right. That way, when they see a card with Yamabushi in the title, they don't even have to read it, mm-hmm. or at least not the last four lines of text. Mm-hmm. Mark Rosewater, I know you're listening. Answer my emails. <laughs> okay. Uh, where do you rate this? I have it as like a mad two x. I'm, I'm just not that high on this thing in terms of its actual damage potential, uh, but I do think it's okay. Yeah, I I ha- also want two copies i had it at playable because i think there are enough x1s that you can get rid of with this but i guess a lot of the time you're having to think about getting rid of your own x1s also so maybe meta is right because it's sort of it's it's a very balanced card so you can't quite go up to playable i'm fine with 2x man okay let's go with that all right you want to end us on a high note here yeah let's close it out with zozu the punisher 1RR for a 2-2 Legendary Goblin Warrior. Whenever a land comes into play, Zozu deals 2 damage to that land's controller. So first off, the, the, the thing that surprised me most about Zozu, looking back at him after all these years, is that he's a Goblin Warrior. Doesn't really fit in with uh, what he does or most of the other Aki. That's true. It seems like more of a shaman kind of effect, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, but no, he's a he's a warrior, and he's got some kind of cool ice sword glaive things that he's wielding. If you look kind of closely, yeah, and he's kind of using him to like deflect lava, which yeah, he's, also um, again is kind of hard to, to be honest, hard to connect to the effect here. He's uh, he's deflecting the lava that shoots up out of land when it comes into play, uh-huh. yeah. uh, which we're all familiar with. That normally just dissipates harmlessly into the atmosphere. Yeah, if you, unless you're really unlucky and standing in the wrong spot, it just goes up into the atmosphere. But Zozu is aiming it. Uh-huh. Okay, all right, all right. Now, thank you. Now it makes sense to me. So I think that all checks out. Okay, got it. Zozu commands 572 decks. That's not too shabby, Zozu. Look at yeah, you. It's not bad for this set. So in there. Yeah, it's about 100 more decks than Hirobi. 
150 fewer decks than eight and a half tails. So he's up there. He's a contender. I can see why. I, I could see playing a troll deck with this thing and having some fun. Maybe with uh, Tide of War in there too. Maybe not. You will not find Austin anywhere near a coin flip. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no. No, I like going harder on my trolling. I like to go all the way and just punish people for playing lands. None of this supposed fairness or something. Although the, Zozu also, I suppose, pretends to be fair, yeah. even as he's not. I mean, I I think the problem with him in, in Kamigawa Limited is that he kind of is. There are not that many ways to capitalize on this damage or to be aggressive enough that you know your opponent is more worried about losing this life than you are yeah it's that challenge we keep running into with red i uh, yeah i think it's good you pointed out that the the problem here is not is the lack of support for aggro not the lack of support for general land hate because i think i think reading this as a land it reads like it's a land hate card but it's really not i think of this more like a like a sulfuric vortex on legs Mm -hmm. that's a little more unreliable yeah yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, and in that sense, it sounds pretty good to me. That's the kind of thing I like. It's yeah. like four things I like at that point. I mean, I, de- I definitely want to have him in. He's an auto-include for me. So almost all the legends have been 1x, except for Isamaru, who we went, uh, I think it was in our early days, heady days. We we just threw a million of those in there. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we've been very disciplined of 1x of each legend. I almost wonder about 2x of Zozu. Because mm. I feel like having a couple of these starts to enable that red aggro deck a little more. Yeah, you might be onto something there. I feel like we've we've been in a little bit of a one X legendary rut since uh, at least since the brothers Yamazaki. Yeah, I think I mean I think there's some reason to do that because I think it uh, for the drafters' perspective it's just like yep, all the legends are one X. It makes the uh, makes the draft a I little bit you. easier to navigate. Um, but, you know, I'm willing to play with that a little bit and see what it's like to have two Zozus kicking around. And I do kind of like the idea of having this in as sub- having a couple copies of this as something that gives even a little more of a nudge into red, especially aggressive red. Boy, is uh, is that three drop slot going to look crowded, I suspect, after after we update the cube? Yeah, it's I I'm I'm picturing, you know, the 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 spread of all of our cards after we finished a draft like in the mana curve looking at graph. them arranged by <laughs> yes looking at them arranged and and stacked up by <laughs> by their mana cost 60% three drops yeah it's going to be a very very steep mountain uh maybe that's a reason to stick with one of these then i mean is is he the three drop that we want to only have one of or do we want to you know maybe think about reducing the number of other three drops later on yeah i mean objectively zozu is almost certainly better and maybe even more interesting though i hate to say it than the brothers yamazaki for example yeah or the ronin Houndmaster or something i i don't know i am attracted a little bit to this idea that like sticking with the neat one of each legendary rule makes the cube easier to draft and understand that's that's a reasonable point just to have like brothers yamazaki you look at it you know there's going to be another right it's right it's right there on the card (laughs) yeah it, it tells you there's at least one more. Yeah, unless we really failed our job as cube builders, um, there should never be one brother Yamazaki. <laughs> we we got that right at least. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of a an interesting balance that we need to be striking here. You know, between pushing the archetypes that we want to push and kind of getting the right power level for different colors and different kinds of decks, and weighing all of that against having a cube that's sort of understandable and intuitive and lines up with what people kind of think they're going to see when they look at a cube like this that's trying to 
show off Kamigawa. Yeah, it's kind of a funny consequence of all the rare creatures in the set being legendary, right? Is like you could totally see another set in which Zozu is not legendary, right? It's just discard as a three drop. And I think that'd be pretty solid little or a solid little aggro threat. But he's legendary because yeah. they, they had this ironclad rule. And Zozu is is being punished for it. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay, so we agree on auto include, I think, right? I, I said playable, but I can't I can't be that cool to Zozu. He he should be an auto include. Yeah. So then it's just, uh, do we stick with the 1x rule for now? I think I think we should. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Yeah, but for now, it should probably be a pretty pretty rare situation where we're having more than one copy of a legendary. Before we move off Zozu and out of red, uh, I just wanted to note, we forgot to say in our first episode, and somebody on Reddit pointed this out, that the inspiration for the Aki was the Kappa, which is great. So the Kappa are these um, sort of water demons in Japanese mythology. They're the ones with the bowl-shaped depression in their head. And the way that you uh, you deal with them is you force them to bow or you trick them into bowing. Uh, and then the water will run out of their head and they'll be turned into stone. And so the Aki look kind of like Kappa, except they're fire Kappa instead of water Kappa, uh, which is very cool. Yeah, that's that's fun. I'm I'm picturing now an Aki with maybe lava. Oh, oh that's instead fun. of water. I'm glad I'm glad they didn't uh, go quite that close. And and if they tap, aka bow, uh oh, they turn to stone. They can only tap once. They they tap once. They deal one damage uh-huh. to you, and then they turn oh boy. to stone. Well, that seems only fair. Yeah, I mean they're pretty, they're pretty powerful. Yeah, I, I like one of auto include. Let's uh, let's go with that. Well, Connor, I think that was uh, just a fantastic episode. I really enjoyed talking about all the red cards with you from the highs, like Zozu the Punisher, down to, you know, some real lows like uh, Tide of War. But yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. Do you, do you think it's time to end the end the episode or should we keep going? Uh, well, I think we need to flip a coin to find out. Oh, oh, I like that a lot. Okay, I actually happen to have a half dollar sitting on my desk right here. Uh, so go ahead and call it in the air, Connor. Here we go. All right. Heads. Tails, uh, the coin says, no, we got to press on. Okay. All right. So if you have feedback, thoughts, or memories to share about any of the cards or topics today, or, or just about any of the Champions of Kamigawa cards we haven't talked about yet, you can always email us at clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com, or even better, comment on Reddit and let us know. You can also follow along with the cube as we evolve it on Cube Cobra. Just check out clockspinning.com for links. Next week, we'll be jumping into green and reviewing the first 25 green cards. So in particular, if you've ever played with those cards, if you have any fond memories, share them with us. We'd really love to pass on your wisdom and insights to other listeners. Until next time, though, I'm Austin. And I'm Connor. Thanks for listening. Okay, all right, let me flip another coin here. Heads, we end the episode. <laughs>